it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And then there was the main event, Jay Briscoe beating Kevin Steen to become the new Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Jay Briscoe still doing tag team matches with his brother Mark, still competing for the ROH tag team titles. I certainly didn't see it coming. Uh, it sounds as though this was a long-term plan. They had this planned out for for many, many months. Jay Briscoe's been in Ring of Honor forever, and he got a tremendous ovation when he won the match, I think largely because people were caught off guard. They were not expecting a title change here, but uh, nobody was upset that Kevin Steen lost the belt, even though there were a lot of Kevin Steen fans in attendance. This was just a really cool moment to be a part of. It's, I did not expect the championship change here. Uh, they had Mark Briscoe come out. They had their family uh, I mean, if I would have known their family were there, I would have thought maybe something was up. They had little kids running around the ring. Just a really, really cool moment. Happy I was there to be part of it. Reach for the sky, boy! It was a sad week in the wrestling world with the loss of Jay Briscoe. And I'm going to be talking about him, the man, Jamin Pugh, the wrestler, Jay Briscoe, what Tony Khan did for him, what Tony Khan tried to do for him this week, why it didn't happen, the tweets from years ago that got him in hot water and and followed him for the rest of his career. I'm not going to shy away from it. It's going to be discussed. It's part of his story. And the latest on his two little girls who are in the hospital, still in rough shape, but there is some light in this, some positive news to share for what has just been a tragedy all around. Uh, there's also more news on Vince McMahon. More hush money. Who hasn't been paid off by this man at this point? Ludicrous comments from Nick Khan about Vince McMahon's return. Comments about Tony Khan throwing a little bit of shade his way. Uh, I've got a Raw 30 preview for tomorrow night, including a major change to a very big segment on the show. And something that I did not initially pick up on in the closing moments of SmackDown on Friday night that could make for a very interesting twist in the Bloodline story. The Royal Rumble is this Saturday. I've got not only predictions, but news on how you could win a whole treasure trove of replica belts this week. You're going to want to hear this. The latest on The Rock and what his rumored status is said to be for WrestleMania. And one of the best worked shoots that I have seen in wrestling in years. From night two of Wrestle Kingdom. And we now have a champion versus champion match announced between New Japan and Pro Wrestling. No, this was so great. So I will tell you what went down, when and where the match is happening. Even if you do not follow Japanese wrestling uh, this angle was badass. This is episode 792 of the Solomonster Sounds Off for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. I want to thank our PayPal producers, as always, for showing their love for me and the podcast this week. If you would like to donate, entirely up to you. You can go to thesolomonster.com. You will see the PayPal link at the very top of the link tree. $10 or more will get you a nickname and a shout-out like the Portland Pop Star. 
Paul Hamilton. Paul, thank you. Night Stalker, Nayef Al-Safar, Big B, Brian Becerra, the Chicago Slayer, Willie Eichard, Velvet Revolver, Robert Murray, the Diamond Dallas Dance Machine, Harrison Soep, the Wichita Workhorse, Clayton Nettleton, John Raging Mad Riffle, Shin Super Kick Akuma, Kill Shot Keith Hart, New York Punk, Arnold Modesto, Bernard, Choo Choo Wilson, Kingmaker, Kevin Gall, and James Last Man Standing, Leitch. And, and James, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, he got back into wrestling last year. After being a fan as a kid, he discovered the podcast, he listens every week. So James, thank you, very happy to have you. And again, a little bit later on, I'm going to have some uh, very cool Wrestle Rumble news for all of you, tied into not just the Royal Rumble coming up next weekend, uh, there's a whole bunch of things going on this week. And also, I want you guys to check out the Lightning Link Lounge. If you play games online, you want to try to win some money, the Lightning Link Lounge, that is the place to be. You can play slots as well as Keno and poker games like Texas Hold'em, Blackjack, and Roulette. Thousands of games to choose from. They pay winners on a daily basis. For more information, search for the Lightning Link Lounge on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok. you got to be 18 years or older to play. Ages may vary outside the U.S., and ID is required. Just text 727-910-8809 to get started. On uh, Facebook, we do have the... 10th annual Royal Rumble Facebook group pool that is ongoing, hosted by uh, the man himself, Zach Holker. We have well over 1,300 entries at last count. Julian Cannon jumping in here to also give one lucky winner uh, the chance to win a Nintendo Switch and a game of your choice. Again, that's something that uh, credit to Julian for doing that. He's handling that whole thing. All you need to do in order to win that, is correctly predict the time of the men's and women's Royal Rumble matches, and you get the bonus prize. And you can find the entry form. It is in the pinned post. There is a pinned Rumble Pool post on the top of the group page. And uh, remember, that's just the bonus. That's uh, separate from the pool itself. To enter the actual Rumble Pool, all you need to do is like the post. That's it. And all of the rules are explained in the post, so... Again, if you are in the Facebook group, go there. If you are waiting in queue, uh, just ping me and let me know. I'll try to get you in there because you need to be approved in order to get into the group. But uh should be fun. should be fun. I, I don't think I did very well in the uh, pool last year myself, but I'm in it too. So uh, we'll see. I would wish all of you the best of luck, but I don't want you to win. I want to win. So, Although I don't get any prizes if I win. But let's get into the top story this week which is something that I hate even having to talk about. Never, You never want to talk about this kind of stuff, and I feel like we've done this far too many times. We were reminded this week about how precious life can be and how quickly it can all be over, even through no fault of your own. I was streaming on YouTube on Tuesday night talking about the very first episode of Monday Night Raw. I'm, I'm sitting here talking about Max Moon and Damian Demento, of all things, when I started seeing messages in the live chat about Jay Briscoe. And I didn't want to believe it. I was hoping it was a hoax, because sadly that happens sometimes where someone will post, oh, so-and-so died, and then I come to find out it's not true. So you just kind of ignore it. 
And then I went to Tony Khan's Twitter, and I saw that, unfortunately, it was true. Jamin Pugh, known to wrestling fans as Jay Briscoe, one half of the reigning Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, passed away in a car wreck just one week shy of his 39th birthday. And one day shy of his brother Mark's birthday. Mark turned 38 on Wednesday. Leaving behind a wife and three kids. Two of whom were in the car with him when the accident happened and are still in the hospital being treated for horrendous injuries. I mean, these injuries would be bad enough for an adult. For a child, they're even worse. He was driving his daughters to a school function in his 2016 Chevy Silverado 2500 a little after 5 o'clock on Tuesday when a 2019 Silverado driven by 27-year-old Lillian Turnahan for reasons that remain unknown and may never be known driving in the opposite direction crossed the center of a two-lane road and drove directly into Jay's truck causing a head-on collision. Uh, Now these are two big vehicles on a road where I believe the speed limit was 50 miles an hour. And if they were driving anywhere close to that, it's a miracle anybody came out of that alive. Jay was not wearing his seatbelt. The other driver was wearing her seatbelt. Both were killed. Both of Jay's daughters, 12-year-old Gracie, 9-year-old Jaylee, were rushed to the hospital in critical condition. Police are still investigating the cause of the crash, uh, and that's important to point out. We don't yet know the circumstances around why this woman veered into oncoming traffic. You know, your mind first goes to, what was she doing? You know, was it drugs? Was it alcohol? Was she texting somebody and took her eyes off the road? All it is is speculation right now. And if it was any of those things, the cops are going to be able to find out. But it could just as easily have been something less nefarious. And so for that reason, I think we need to just keep in mind that two people died here, not just one. And that family is grieving as well. There's no sense in beating up on anybody until all the facts are known. But the real tragedy here, it's not even that, you know, oh, the wrestling world lost a great wrestler. It's that people lost a husband and a father. A very devoted father by all accounts. If, if there's one thing I've taken away from this week is that this was the father of the year. I mean, this is a man that loved his kids, loved his family, uh, and was deeply involved. Didn't just love his kids. He was deeply involved in everything that they did. And I guess, you know, some solace to take out of this is that he didn't spend his final moments on the road driving to a wrestling show or in a hotel room somewhere away from home. He was with his daughters. And and maybe there's some relief in that. I don't know. But on her Facebook page after the accident, Jay's wife, Ashley, wrote the following. She said, We need prayers. Gracie is on her way into surgery on her back. Jamin would want the whole world praying for his little girl. We believe in the power of prayer. Pray for the doctors and everyone working on her. Pray for her precious legs to move again. Pray for Jaylee, who has some pretty serious injuries, but is stable and resting. Pray for Gannon, waiting at home. Pray for strength for all of us. We have a long, long road ahead of us. Gannon is their son, who thankfully was not in the car with them. Uh, Thursday night, two friends... 
and neighbors of the family who helped organize a fundraising campaign to assist with all of the, you know, anticipated expense, or I should say unanticipated expenses, because who could predict that this sort of thing would even happen? Uh, they set up a fundraiser. All the money will be going directly to Jay's wife. And by the way, that campaign originally had a goal of $50,000. And at last count, last I checked, it was up over $270,000, which is incredible. But the people who set that uh, fundraiser up, they posted a video on Facebook on behalf of the family to give an update on both of Jay's daughters. So this was the update as of a few days ago, just to give you a sense of when I say horrendous injuries to these two little girls, this gives you a sense of what they're going through. Gracie is the older daughter. She's 12 years old. When she originally got to the hospital, she could not feel anything from the waist down. She was diagnosed with an L2 dislocation and an L3 and L4 fracture in her back with compression on her spinal cord. After getting her stabilized, they transferred her to another hospital and she got feeling back in her thighs, but nothing lower than her knees. She was taken for an MRI and into surgery around 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning. And the doctor was able to relieve the compression on the spinal cord and said that surgery went as well as could be expected. So that's where we are with her. It's a waiting game. She still has feeling in her thighs, but no movement as of yet. She had tingling in her feet on and off today, and Gracie's progress will be day-to-day. She was bruised up pretty badly, but at this time, no injuries have been diagnosed. So tonight, we are honing in on Gracie's prayers to get motion and feeling back in her legs. That is what she needs to be able to get back to doing her cheering and the things that Gracie likes to do. And I mentioned this the other night. Jay, Jay had just spent the last weekend with Gracie in North Carolina, one of her cheer competitions, and he, he could be seen doing the cheers himself uh, from the stands. So he, w- he was all in when it came to his kids. But the update continued. Uh, Jaylee, who they call JJ, was diagnosed with an open tibia and fibula fracture and underwent surgery. They placed an external fixator on. She's been diagnosed with a C7 fracture in her neck and has been placed in a neck brace, which she will be in for the next six weeks. She also has an L3 and L4 fracture in her back, which can be managed with a back brace for about 12 weeks. She has a right clavicle fracture from the seat belt as well as a broken rib on the right side. She has a small left pneumothorax, which is the air in between the lung and the chest wall, not inside the lung. They are monitoring that as it is not large enough for intervention at this point, which is a blessing. Today she was diagnosed with a perforated bowel with free fluid in her abdomen. She has had some internal bleeding in her stomach area. Today they were able to pinpoint it to find out where it was. And the surgery went awesome. They got in there. They got the bleeding under control. They took care of her. They got her on the mend. They did a bowel resection, which means they took a little bit of it out. While she was down there, the orthopedics decided to go in and do another washout of her leg with some manipulation to the bones for a better alignment. She has the external fixator in place. And they placed an NG tube up her nose to decompress her stomach, and they hope to take that out tomorrow, which will allow her to eat. So those are just horrific injuries. And on Friday night, we got a positive update from those same people in a new Facebook Live video that Gracie had lots of tingling and itching in her lower legs after having surgery to repair a dislocated hip. 
She began occupational therapy and has regained feeling in her lower extremities. She was able to get up and sit in a wheelchair. She is now taking oral pain meds, no longer on IV. So that is fantastic news because, again, they were not sure. Her grandmother told the media they were not sure if she would ever walk again. So that is awesome. And his younger daughter, Jaylee, was fitted with a back brace. She was able to get up and sit on the side of the bed. Also spent some time in a a wheelchair. Uh, Still had the tube up her nose. Was unable to eat or drink as of Friday. But they were hoping yesterday to uh, get her back to eating normal food. So that is some light for them in a very dark week. You know, it's bad enough the family has to plan for a funeral. You add all of this in, and I just cannot imagine what his wife must be going through right now. You know, Jay, Jay Briscoe and I were pretty close in age. I'm, I'm slightly older than him. And it really just puts things into perspective when I see something like this. And for me, it hits differently than a lot of other wrestler deaths that we hear about and that I talk about because I lost my father in a car accident. And that's an awful phone call to get. And I don't wish that on anybody. So, you know, when I heard the news, it just, I don't know, it just had a a different effect on me than most of these stories when I read them. When you consider his body of work in the ring, the Briscoes are one of the greatest tag teams of all time. I don't even think that can be debated. And I think the argument can be made that they were the greatest tag team of the modern era to never get a run in WWE. You know, they called Ring of Honor their home for 20 years. The greatest team in Ring of Honor history. And Jay Briscoe may be the greatest period in Ring of Honor history. When you look at his accomplishments, 13 times Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. Two-time Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. Ring of Honor World Six-Man Tag Team Champion. Ring of Honor Hall of Famer. His loyalty to ROH, his longevity there. When I think of Ring of Honor, I think of names like Samoa Joe. I think of Brian Danielson. I think of CM Punk. I think of Adam Cole. How do you not have Jay Briscoe in that conversation? Titles across three different divisions, I guess you would say. And nobody, other than his brother, has had the longevity there that he had. 20 years. That will never be matched. He was part of so many great tag team matches with, you know, the Motor City Machine Guns and Kevin Steen and El Generico and the Kings of Wrestling and the Young Bucks and FTR and their classic trilogy in 2022, my match of the year for all three of their matches. Always entertaining, their promo work, the fight on the farm a couple of years back between Jay and Mark. Outside of ROH, he was an Impact Tag Team Champion. An IWGP Tag Team Champion, CZW Tag Team Champion, GCW Tag Team Champion, House of Glory Tag Team Champion last year. You know, House of Glory is Amazing Red's promotion. Amazing Red wrestled Jay Briscoe on the very first Ring of Honor show in 2002. Jay was 18 years old. The only reason Mark didn't wrestle on that show and he was in Jay's corner was because he was a year younger than Jay. And, and uh, Pennsylvania has child labor laws, so he couldn't wrestle. My very first Ring of Honor show was in June of 2006 at the New Yorker Hotel. And the very first match on that card, the very first Ring of Honor match live that I ever saw, was the Briscoes against Jason Blade and Sterling James Keenan, who you may know as, as Corey Graves. 
That was the very first Ring of Honor match I ever saw in person. You know, when I think of Jay Briscoe, I, th- I think of the Age of the Fall debut with Jimmy Jacobs and Tyler Black and Necro Butcher and the image of Jay hanging upside down by his ankles above the ring with blood dripping down into the mouth of Jimmy Jacobs and all over Jimmy's suit and turned his white suit red. Still one of the sickest things that I've ever seen in, in a wrestling ring. I was there at the Hammerstein Ballroom at Supercard of Honor in 2013 when Jay became a world champion for the first time and he ended Kevin Steen's Almost year-long reign as Ring of Honor World Champion. And what, a, what a moment that was. I was there for their Terminal 5 debut at Final Battle in 2014 for his title defense in the fight without honor against Adam Cole. And I had the pleasure of being there all of last year when the Briscoes tore it up in House of Glory, winning the tag team titles. They won them in March from Penta and Arez, who was a sub for Ray Phoenix, and then going on to defend the titles against United Empire and against Main Event, Jay Lyon and Midas Black, two homegrown House of Glory talents, against the Dark Order, against Main Event again, this time in a three-way with Private Party, against Aussie Open, and then finally, one last time, against Main Event in their last chance at the titles, and this time they were successful. Every time the Briscoes worked with them, they helped elevate main event that much more until they finally won. The Briscoes wanted to make sure they did the honor and put those guys over. They had no ego about it. In a business filled with egos, the Briscoes had none. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Midas Black posted on Instagram and said that uh, they told he and Jay Lyon that they reminded them of themselves and they just wanted to see the next generation of tag team wrestling thrive. You know, the fact that JD and I got to sit there last month and call Jay Briscoe's final match. We had no idea, obviously, at the time that it was going to be his last match. This was only a week after the dog collar match with FTR. People think that was Jay's last match. It wasn't. His last match was with Mark, dropping the, the HOG tag team titles. And I will forever be grateful that I had that opportunity. But they should have had many more matches after that. And now they won't. And that really sucks. You know, when the news broke on Tuesday night, WWE broke into its live NXT show. They had Vic Joseph let everybody know that Jay Briscoe had passed away, even though he had never wrestled for WWE. Uh, New Day was scheduled to host a, a funeral segment for Pretty Deadly on the show, and they scrapped it at the last minute for obvious reasons. You know, I remember the night that they did the Benoit tribute show. WWE had a funeral plan for Mr. McMahon after he got blown up in the limo. 
And they had to scrap that too. Maybe maybe don't air any funerals on wrestling shows from now on. It's a little too risky. But Michael Cole did the same thing on SmackDown Friday night. He sent condolences to Jay's family. Uh, Impact Wrestling, where Jay and Mark held their tag team titles last year, did a 10-bell salute to Jay at their TV tapings on Friday night. That same night, halfway across the world, New Japan and Pro Wrestling Noah, two other promotions where Jay Briscoe held gold, hosted night two of Wrestle Kingdom, and they had talent come to the ring to pay tribute to Jay Briscoe with a 10-bell salute of their own. And that image that I saw of... Tanahashi standing in the ring holding that photo of Jay with Marafuji standing next to him also holding a a photo of Jay. I mean, that just, that hit me right in the feels when I saw that. And then they played his music at the end of it. It was a very classy display. Really, across wrestling this week. Very classy in the way that they pay tribute to this man. And to see him honored across borders like this in multiple places shows the mark that he left on the industry. On Dynamite Wednesday night, a lot of people were expecting some sort of tribute that did not come. They aired a graphic at the beginning of the show because that is all they were allowed to do. That and Excalibur was able to sneak in a few words about Jay in the closing seconds of the show. Even though he never wrestled for AEW, everybody who works for that company loved this man. They worked with him at some point during their career or they were influenced by the Briscoes in some way. It would have been appropriate for them to do more. But their hands were tied by Warner Brothers Discovery, which is so ludicrous. I'm I'm getting hot just sitting here. This all goes back to last year when Fightful reported that a person of influence within Warner Brothers Discovery had blocked Tony Khan from signing the Briscoes to AEW deals or featuring them on AEW programming due to Jay's past tweets, which I'm going to address here in a few minutes. That is a very real story. That's not, oh, it's just people, you know, throwing shit at the wall or spreading rumors. No, that is a very real story. If you think that a simple graphic is all that Tony Khan wanted to do for Jay Briscoe on TV, I I mean, get real. Get real. He wasn't allowed to. And I agree, hey, sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than ask permission. But in this situation, the last thing Tony Khan needs to be doing is pissing off the network in a year where they are hoping to negotiate a media rights increase. There are greater considerations that he has to make here. I understand that. It is ludicrous, but his hands were tied. And yet, TBS used Dynamite as a lead-in for their shitty new Power Slap show, run by a man who just got caught on camera smacking his wife. They had no issue with AEW having Nick Gage on TV with a pizza cutter bragging about having stabbed uh, David Arquette in the jugular and how he once robbed a fucking bank. Warner Brothers Discovery has no issue doing business with Ezra Miller, who's in the news every other month for something. And they're moving ahead with the Flash movie, even though this person is facing legal issues in at least three different states that we know of. Arrested for throwing a chair that hit a woman in the head, caught on video choking another woman outside of a bar... The accusations of grooming minors, a burglary charge last year that he just agreed to a plea deal for last week. He was back in the news again. But it's all good, because last summer they went on an apology tour talking about mental health issues and met with the Warner executives to say, I'm sorry. 
So all is forgiven. I guess apologies only work when you've got millions invested in a movie that you really need to do well at a time when your company is bleeding money. That gets you more leeway than a pro wrestler who posted a crappy tweet 10 years ago. You fucking hypocrites. By the way, that uh, Power Slap show, that debut on Wednesday, did just 295,000 viewers and a shitty demo number. AEW did a lot more than that, so it was nice to see the majority of the AEW audience did not stick around, and they immediately tuned out when the show was over. That was nice to see. They did not even give this, this show a second look. But I mentioned the tweets, so let's address that since it's the elephant in the room. This all goes back to 2011, at a time when Jay used to post in character on his Twitter page, he posted a tweet using a derogatory word for a gay person and said, there's a lot of them out in New York today. This was only a month or two after Sinclair had just bought the company. So in character or not in character, that was not a very bright thing for him to do. But nothing came out of it. The following year, WWE was said to have an interest in signing the Briscoes, but Ring of Honor would not let them out of their contracts. Now, whether they would have left if they did have the chance, that I don't know. But they were not available, so it didn't happen. A year after that, Jay Briscoe was in the uh, position of Ring of Honor World Champion when he tweeted about the Delaware Senate passing a bill at the time to allow same-sex couples to get married. And he followed that up by saying, try and teach my kids there's nothing wrong with that and I'll fucking shoot you. A very stupid and a very dangerous thing to post. And as the Ring of Honor world champion, he was the face of that company at the time. He should have known better. So especially being in the position that he was in, it was a very tone deaf, very dumb thing for him to say. Ring of Honor had him apologize for it at a show in Pennsylvania and donated his pay from that show and a show the following week in Virginia to a nonprofit group. I watched that apology that he gave. I watched it at the time, and then I watched it again recently. And he seemed genuinely embarrassed by what he said. He said, Jay Briscoe's not even my real name. My name is Jamin Pugh, and I've got two kids with a third one on the way. And I don't want people to think that in my house we preach hate. He said, in his house, they preach that you love your neighbor and yourself. Now, there was interest at the time from WWE when this happened and bringing them in before all of this went down, and then that interest waned after Jay's tweet. But it should be noted that the reason they never ended up in WWE actually had nothing to do with any tweets. It wasn't because they were blackballed or WWE had some sort of ban on doing business with the Briscoes. In 2015, there were reports that WWE was interested in making them an offer. That was two years after this. And in fact, Mike Johnson of PW Insider at the time reported that WWE made a, quote, top flight NXT level offer in their attempt to sign the Briscoes. But Jay and Mark opted to re-sign with Ring of Honor instead. Reason being, they had taken over their family's chicken farm. They were also running a landscaping business on the side. They were smart enough to recognize that there's life after wrestling. And taking a WWE deal would have basically killed all of that. They have a big family. Jay had three kids. Mark had three kids at the time. I think he's added a couple more since then. I know Mark and his wife had a baby boy last summer named Murphy. They've always had a big family. A lot of mouths to feed. 
And it would have been tough for them to move all of them from Delaware down to Florida had they taken those NXT deals. Now, Ring of Honor went and made them a worthy offer, and so they took that instead. So that should dispel this notion that WWE never had any interest in the Briscoes after Tweetgate, because that's just not, that's just not true. Uh, it just wasn't the right fit for them at the time. Had WWE come in with a main roster deal for main roster money, maybe things would have been different. You know, it'll always be one of those what-if questions. What if the Briscoes had gone to WWE in 2015? What if they had a short stint in NXT at a time when they had teams? I mean, 2015, so we're talking the Revival, we're talking American Alpha, probably Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, Enzo Amore and Colin Cassidy. And then on the main roster, you had teams like the Usos and the New Day, That would have been fun. But would Vince McMahon have allowed the Briscoes to be the Briscoes? And and I don't just mean the name, which they probably would have had to change. I'm talking, you know, they're in ring style, they're promos. Imagine the Briscoes doing those scripted WWE promos. You know, I I have a, a super chat that pops up on the YouTube stream sometimes of me doing a Bushwhacker impression. And sometimes people ask, what is that from? It's from last year. I was talking about the Briscoes and what Vince McMahon might have done with them if they ever went there. He might have turned them into a fucking modern-day bushwhackers. You know, who's to say? Who's to say how it all would have worked out? We'll never know. But that tweet cost Jay and his brother a lot of money. It cost them a job years later with AEW. Tony Khan wanted them in AEW right from the very beginning. He wanted them to be part of that tag team division with the Young Bucks and the Lucha Bros and LAX. And uh, Daniels and Kazarian and and all the other great teams that they had lined up. Warner Brothers Discovery would not budge. Tony Khan got around their edict. He signed them to Ring of Honor deals after he bought the company. Nick Jackson told The Observer that Jay took sensitivity training before signing those contracts. And everybody he talked to said how genuine he seemed and how different his opinions were during the training. And how much of a changed man he was. And that he wishes he was given a better chance for forgiveness when he was still alive but the briscoes were not allowed on AEW tv even as they were promoting their matches with ftr remember when they announced the dog collar match for final battle they kind of threw it out there at the last minute a few days before the pay-per-view they had billy gunn's kids they had the gun club go out on dynamite at the very end of the show and announce the match ftr was in the ring Gun Club came out on stage and they announced the match instead of having the Briscoes show up. They weren't even allowed to air a video promo from them. At All Out, in September, when they randomly brought in the Motor City Machine Guns to team with Jay Lethal against Wardlow and FTR, that spot was earmarked for the Briscoes, not the Machine Guns. But since they couldn't promote them on TV, I mean, yeah, they could use them on the pay-per-view, but I guess... You know, the idea, I guess, from Tony Khan was if we can't promote them on TV, then there's no sense in using them. Now, for his part, Jay Briscoe seemed genuinely remorseful for the things that he said. He has apologized numerous times over the years. He apologized again last year on a podcast. He said they get labeled as homophobes because he put out a stupid tweet nine years ago that he said the most dumbest, immature, obnoxious shit that I've ever done. I don't want anybody from any walk of life to feel like they can't care for the Briscoes because I promise we love everybody. We love everybody and we just want to go out there and be pro wrestlers and give the best match that we can. 
I said some dumb shit a long time ago. I apologize for it, and I'll apologize for it again. It was stupid. I feel like now there are people who look at us like we can't cheer for them because they hate a certain group of people. We don't hate nobody. We love everybody. We are just some country boys. I thought I was taking a stand for the Lord back in the day. I understand people who think that it was more than just a dumb, ignorant tweet. It was a disgraceful thing to say. That you would shoot someone for saying something or or trying to teach your kids something that you would threaten violence against a group of people. Every single one of us is guilty at some point in our lives of saying something very stupid. Saying something that we regret. Saying something that we wish that we could take back. Not because we got caught, not because we get called out on it, but because genuinely we look at it and go, man, that was a fucking dumb thing for me to say. We all have moments like that. Not everybody threatens to shoot people. I mean, there's no justification for that. I'm not condoning it. And neither did he. But I think it sucks that no matter how many times he apologized, no matter how many people came forward that he worked with, to talk about how good of a person he was and how he, how well he treated them and just how good of a human being he was in real life, no matter how remorseful this man was, that one tweet still, for a lot of people, was the main thing that defined who he was. That he was not given a chance to grow and to change. That, that he should be treated like some kind of pariah for the rest of his life. I respect their loyalty to Ring of Honor, but the Briscoes deserved a bigger stage. And I think it's telling that even though they were never on that top stage, that they still are as not just respected, but as well-known and, and as well-traveled as they were, the success they had, the impact that they left. Even never being in WWE and never being on AEW television. And still, the wrestling world was in mourning. And I think that says a lot about them and a lot about what they were able to accomplish in spite of that. You know, maybe if they would have gotten that, maybe this never would have happened. You know, AEW was out on the West Coast this week. If he was on that show, maybe he's not on the road in Delaware at 5 o'clock on Tuesday. I mean, don't think that thought hasn't crossed my mind either. I was thinking about that too. What Tony Khan did do was film a Jay Briscoe tribute show after Dynamite and Rampage on Wednesday that is going to air on ROH's Honor Club service. It'll be for free. Uh, It's also going to be posted on Ring of Honor's YouTube channel as well. They had very limited time to put together a, a show on very short notice. They wanted to fly certain people in for it. Logistically, them being out on the West Coast, it just wasn't possible. Uh, they couldn't even get Bobby Cruz, the uh, Ring of Honor uh, ring announcer, to come out. They tried to make it work, and it just couldn't happen. Uh, but they're calling it a Jay Briscoe celebration of life, with Claudio Castagnoli taking on Christopher Daniels, Wheeler Yuta wrestling Hagane Shino, Athena against Madison Rain, Eddie Kingston against QT Marshall, Marina Shafir against Mighty Myra, Juice Robinson against Brandon Cutler, Yuka Sakazaki against Sandra Moon. Adam Cole cut a heartfelt promo at the taping. I saw a clip of that on social media. I know people are going to look at that line. I mean, Marina Shafir, QT Marshall, and wonder what the hell is this? What does this have to do with Jay Briscoe? I got an email from uh, Taylor, who was at the taping. It was a very long night. He didn't stay for the whole thing. It was over five hours. Uh, yeah, but it was a tribute show. These people were in mourning. They were devastated. It was a tribute show that Tony Khan had to put together at the very last minute. 
He worked with what he had. This is one time where I don't think we need to be critiquing their match choice. Everybody on that card, I am sure, was very upset by what happened, or they were very happy to be asked to be part of it. Maybe they themselves asked to be part of it. They lost a friend and a colleague. Tony Khan has already said he is planning at least two more tribute shows. One will be a tribute episode on the very first uh, Ring of Honor television show on Honor Club, whenever that is, which will be both the show that they taped in Fresno and clips of various Briscoe matches. And the other will be a tribute to Jay on the Super Card of Honor show March 31st in Los Angeles, which is the next Ring of Honor pay-per-view. They, you know, at that point, they'll be able to fly other people in for that. If the family wants to be there, if Mark Briscoe wants to be there, they could be there for that. Right now, they've got more important things to tend to than a wrestling show. The Briscoes are also the reigning Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champions, so that is going to have to be addressed. It is a very big loss for Tony Khan because he was going to build that weekly show around the Briscoes, and now he's not going to be able to do that. What they do with the tag team titles, that remains to be seen. We don't know if Mark is going to continue as a single, or if he's going to go find a new tag team partner, which, you know, that would be tough. I mean, how do you replace your own brother? I think Mark could do well as a single, if that's what he chooses to do. I don't know where his head is at. I I do think, I do think it would be a nice tribute to someone who was so influential in tag team wrestling to start an annual tag team tournament, call it the Jay Briscoe Invitational. Not unlike how NXT pays tribute to Dusty with the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. And and I, when I think of Dusty Rhodes, I don't associate Dusty Rhodes with tag team wrestling. Uh, Jay Briscoe, I do. But to do something like that and use that as a way to crown new ROH Tag Team Champions at that Supercard of Honor show in L.A., I think that would be a very nice gesture on their part. The one thing I can say to wrap this all up is that Jay Briscoe is going to be missed. Uh, not only by his family, but wrestlers, wrestling fans all over the world. Anytime we hear about a young wrestler death, it's a terrible thing. And we have heard about this far too often over the years. This one just feels different. This this one has stuck with me more than most because it was just, it was so unnecessary. And the circumstances with his girls being in the back seat and, and what they're going through, you know, Owen's death fucked me up more than any other wrestler death. And he also left behind a wife and kids. That was also completely unnecessary and completely preventable. And similarly here, it just breaks my heart. I don't know what else to say. I mean, my my condolences to his family, all of his friends. And the one thing I'm hoping for right now, the most important thing, I'm hoping that his daughters can make a full recovery. Right now, that is the only thing that matters. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another week, another Vince McMahon Wall Street Journal story. Headline, WWE's Vince McMahon settles with ex-wrestling referee who accused him of rape. Just the type of headline I'm sure the company was looking for. The story says that McMahon has agreed to a multi-million dollar settlement with Rita Chatterton, the former referee who accused him of raping her in the back of his limousine in 1986. Uh, She was actually their first female referee. The deal was completed last month to avert a public legal fight over her allegations as she pursues a, as he pursues a sale of the company. Maybe he sold her the company. Who knows? Wouldn't that be something? (laughs) Rita doesn't want any money. She wants the company. Chatterton had been asking for uh, a little under $12 million in damages for the incident. She agreed to a lesser amount. We don't know what that is, though. The journal could not determine the exact figure. McMahon denies ever raping her. And according to his lawyer, Jerry McDevitt, he only settled to avoid the cost of litigation. Yes, I'm sure that's the only reason he settled. The settlement provides her with a lump sum upfront and annual installment, similar to McMahon's previous agreements with women, according to one person familiar with the deal. Important to point that out. Women. Plural. That he's paid off to keep their mouths shut. This is after he paid $7.5 million five years ago to a former wrestler, who alleged that he coerced her into giving him oral sex and a 2022 agreement where he agreed to pay $3 million to a former employee, not talent, with whom he allegedly had an affair. Chatterton's story has been consistent since the very first time she went public with this in 1992. And even earlier than that, because she confided privately in a few people right after the incident supposedly happened. I know Mario Mancini has come forward to corroborate her story. He was on the roster at the time. So he paid her off last month before he even came back to the company. With a non-disclosure agreement, I'm sure. He was tying up all the loose ends and tidying things up in preparation for this big sale. And you know, I, I sometimes would ask here on the podcast... When uh, Vince McMahon was gone for those few months. Oh, I wonder what he does with his free time. Right? Does the man have any hobbies? What does he do for fun? This. This is how he was spending his free time. Planning and plotting his return. That is his favorite pastime. Now we know what he was spending his time doing. Is there anyone left that this man has not paid off? Remember the the first one-night stand pay-per-view when Paul Heyman saw Edge up in the balcony? And he goes, hide your wives, it's Edge, right? Remember that? I hope they sent a memo around to all of the female employees at Titan Tower to warn them that all, you know, all the, the women who work in the building that Vince McMahon was coming back to the office. Hide your wives, the sex pest is back. We also learned this week that his former chief of staff, Brad Blum, who had either left or he had been let go when Vince left the company, uh, was spotted back at the tower this week. In fact, his entire administrative staff is expected, if they haven't already, uh, to be back in the days ahead. And he has been back in the office now for weeks. He's already sent notes to several departments of the company suggesting changes, even though we were told that he was only coming back to assist with the sale of the company and nothing more. 
Not only is he back in the office suggesting changes, they've already started making office cuts, something I don't remember hearing about in the six months that he was gone. Fightful this week said there were office cuts that were ongoing. Adam Hopkins is a name that was in the news this week. He was their vice president of communications. He had worked for the company since 1997, got his start working in the fan services department. Over 25 years of service in that company, he is gone. Everybody internally was said to be shocked by the news. A lot of wrestlers tweeted out their uh, shock and dismay. It was a big topic of conversation per Fightful backstage at the SmackDown uh, show on Friday night. He handled a lot of the company's media requests over the years. He was credited with reopening the lines of communication between the company and the wrestling media. He was said to be very close with Triple H, and you would hear him, uh, you know, his name would be mentioned at the beginning of a lot of those media calls. Uh, that Triple H used to do, now Shawn Michaels does them. Uh, one person in the company who was shocked by the news told PW Insider that it would be the equivalent of learning that Howard Finkel, if he were still alive, that Howard Finkel were was leaving the company. The company gave no reason for his exit. Joe Villa, another longtime WWE employee in their media and communications department who was let go uh, two years ago, after spending 16 years with WWE, tweeted about the Hopkins news and said, Adam is one of my best friends, period. He literally dedicated his life to WWE. There was no task too big or too small for him. He is a genuine person who cared so much for the company, co-workers, talent, and press. WWE management is heartless and soulless. They don't deserve an Adam. Hopkins was not the only one let go, by the way. Stephanie Fiondella, who held the position of VP Communications, is also gone. She had worked there from 2014 to 2019 and then returned in April of 2021. It's kind of weird how all of this starts happening after Vince comes back. And there's more. In a new filing with the SEC on Tuesday, Vince McMahon repealed some of the bylaw amendments that he made after his return earlier this month. Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics noted that one of the initial amendments he made required shareholders to approve any sale or media rights deal. And since he's the controlling shareholder, that means that he would have to approve any such deals. Now that is no longer the case. Since he forced his way back onto the board and he was elected executive chairman, I mean, he's got that power now regardless, so that initial change is no longer necessary. He controls the board now. <laughs> he controls the board. He's got his people on the board. It's just a formality. Uh, that, and he probably figures that, uh, that doing that, repealing the amendment would shut down the class action lawsuit that was filed against him, uh, for changing the bylaws in the first place. Very shrewd. Very shrewd move on his part. There was another class action suit filed against him by the Detroit Police and Fire Retirement System in the Delaware Court of Chancery. This was first reported by the website Sportico. The suit is claiming that he acted wrongfully in trying to impose his personal will on WWE and its board by purporting to adopt a package of invalid and inequitable bylaw amendments that would hamstring the board from making critical business decisions. It also claims McMahon enjoys too much voting power due to his Class B shares, which gives him 10 votes per share, as opposed to Class A shares, which give one vote per share. Despite him owning 39% of the company's equity, he controls 81% of the voting power. They claim McMahon violates Section 141 of the Delaware General Corporation Law and the company charter. 
Altering the company's governance structure usurps the power of the board over critical corporate management functions and vests it solely in McMahon in his capacity as a stockholder. And neither Delaware law nor WWE's charter permits this kind of transfer of power, the system says, uh, occurred. And the Detroit Police and Fire Retirement System wants a declaration that the consent is void. We'll see if this changes, if... uh, you know, anything as far as the changes Vince made, if it renders both of these lawsuits pretty much a moot point, which is probably the reason he made the changes this week in the first place, was to try to shut down these lawsuits. Nothing new on the sale front, uh, but to follow up on the Saudi sale rumors, remember I talked about Live Golf not being able to get a media rights deal in the U.S.? Well, there was a story this week on ESPN.com that Live Golf has reached a multi-year U.S. broadcast television and streaming agreement with the CW Network to air its live tournaments. According to a press release, the CW Network will broadcast each of Live Golf's 14 global events this coming season over the air and on the CW app. Financial terms of the deal were not released. Sources told ESPN that it is a revenue-sharing arrangement and that Live Golf will not receive rights fees from the CW and would continue to pay production costs as it did during its first season in 2022. Live Golf, which is being financed by Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, has reportedly been in talks with Fox Sports about broadcasting its tournaments on FS1 or FS2 with Live Golf paying for airtime. So they got a slot on the CW, but it doesn't sound like they're going to be making much money off of it. And again, you're hearing about paying for airtime. Again, if this was a full-blown media rights deal, they wouldn't be paying for anything. They would be they would be getting paid for their content, and that's still not happening. But there was funny chatter last week about Tony Khan and his father possibly being interested in buying WWE or merging it with AEW, which is laughable. As I said, Vince McMahon would just as soon sell his company to Genghis Khan than he would Tony Khan. But Tony Khan was asked about it on the Maggie and Perloff show. He said, I am interested in the news that there is potentially a sales process, and certainly I think that we have shown, when there are acquisitions and transactions, we are capable of making the big purchases. AEW is my main focus. But certainly when that news is out there, it's very interesting. So stay tuned to AEW Dynamite and stay tuned to AEW Rampage. I just love, he always ties it back to the shows. Just like a good promoter, he always ties it back to his TV shows. He goes, you never know when I'm going to address something. So I guess the next time we hear about a a major Tony Khan announcement on television, it could very well be that he has purchased WWE. He said, it's very preliminary to talk about that process. If there is a process there, which it sounds like there may be, I am interested in being a part of it. In another interview with the In The Click podcast, he responded to a similar question. He said, I can't say too much about that except to say that my dad and I are often exploring acquisitions, often exploring investments in the world of sports and certainly the world of pro wrestling. I think we have shown that we are open to making acquisitions. We are open to big investments. This is one of those situations where I probably don't want to say too much and probably shouldn't say too much except to say that we are very interested in what is happening and are watching it very closely. And if there is a process, we would like to be part of it. I would not be getting my hopes up for WWAEW. Triple H 
hosted yet another backstage talent meeting. First, it was with the SmackDown roster two weeks ago. Then it was the Raw roster last Monday to assure them that he is still very much in charge of creative and that the uh, Irish sea monster is only back to help at a possible sale of the company. He also admitted, though, that things can change and that he does discuss creative with Vince, but ultimately he has the final say. It's almost like he's trying to convince himself at this point. If he repeats the same thing over and over again enough times, it can't possibly change. Of course, we all we all know differently. Nick Khan. Let's talk about Nick Khan. Nick Khan, who is now the sole CEO of WWE, did an hour-long interview with Bill Simmons on his podcast that had a lot of people talking this week. You could tell. When you listen to Nick Khan, you could tell there's a reason why they hired him and why he has climbed his way up the ladder as quickly as he has. He talks a lot without actually saying too much. He was asked about the last few weeks, all the turmoil and Vince's return, and this is what he had to say. My thought was that there's only one boss in the company, and that ain't me. I think it was always my point of view, Stephanie's point of view, that he would come back. The way he played it to me was smart, in that he went away for five or six months, which people, meaning the audience, seems to like when somebody does that, and he came back and took control back of his company as a company shareholder. So it's the public's company as a publicly traded company. But with that, the controlling share gave him a lot of authority, and he used it, and I applaud him for doing so. Amazing. He used the old wrestling analogy where the audience likes it when somebody goes away for a while, and then they can come back and get the big return pop. This is, it's like one big angle to these people. This is like one big wrestling angle. When he was asked why Vince would return, when there is a risk of hurting the company's image, he pointed out a similar situation regarding Ray Rice and the NFL, where people were asking NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to step down. He said, well, no advertiser has fled, ratings are down, or ratings aren't down, the product seems to continue to build. Why would he resign? Why would he do that? He was referring to Goodell uh, in that instance. He says, I think it's just a three-mile radius of L.A. thing. Hey, step down and, you know, you have to sort of be punished for it. It didn't used to be that way. To me, WWE is Vince. Vince is WWE. And we are going to do the best we can to keep building the company. About Vince, he said, when he stepped down, anyone who believed that was permanent didn't know him. That was never going to happen, but I'm appreciative of the fact that he gave it five or six months, let the dust settle a little bit, and then came back in the way that he has come back. Mind you, the tweet is still up where Vince posted at 77, time for me to retire. And yes, I know how these wrestling retirements typically go, but it's not usually the CEO of the company who says that. He didn't say time to take a vacation. He didn't say time to sail around the world. Time to go on a yoga retreat. He said, time to retire. To listen to Nick Khan, we're all idiots for thinking that he w- it would ever be permanent. And there were plenty of people who did not think that it would be permanent. So maybe we are all a bunch of idiots. <laughs> that might have been the most honest thing he said in this entire interview. But I love this ignoring of history. It's amazing. The other thing is, and this is also very important to point out here, Nick Khan was on the board of directors when they unanimously agreed that now was not the time for Vince to be coming back. They told him no. And yet here he says, I appreciate how he basically forced his way back in. 
Would have been nice if Simmons would have asked him about that. I didn't think Bill Simmons did a half bad job asking questions in this interview because I listened to the entire thing, all, all 60 minutes of it. But it would have been nice to have him ask about that and ask that follow-up because I think that is a legitimate question that I would have loved to hear him twist himself into a pretzel to try to answer. Of course, the thing is, he can't. He can't give an honest answer on that. There is no good way for him to answer that without getting himself in trouble because he clearly thought that it was a bad idea for Vince to come back. And now that Vince is back, he has to smile and pretend like he has some sort of admiration for him for what he did. When he was asked about Stephanie McMahon leaving, he said, as an outsider, I don't get involved in family business. That's rule number one. And when asked if he was worried about more revelations coming out about Vince, he said, people know I've always found him to be... I gotta try to say this with a straight face. People know I have always found him to be a very honest broker with this stuff. So even when the process started last summer, there was nothing that he hid. There was nothing that he covered up. I think he was very honest about it, and I appreciated that. And I think a lot of other folks did too. I I so wish that we had video of this interview just to see how he was able to say all of that with a straight face. Simmons brought up Rita Chatterton's name and asked if possible suitors for the company will wait and see how that and other situations play out. This was before the Wall Street Journal story came out this week about the Chatterton settlement. Uh, although he probably would have, I mean, he would have had to have known about this anyway. But he said, I think everyone's just plowing ahead because in all of these businesses, there's never a clean, clear path. There's always some encumbrance, something in the way, some hurdle in the way that you have to get around or get through. So I see that like I would any other item like it. Good to know. The little Rita Chatterton encumbrance has been taken care of and now they can plow ahead. I think plowing is what got him into trouble in the first place. But the part that made my jaw drop was when he acknowledged later on, after he was asked about why a couple of people had left the board and about all of the board shakeups recently and Vince bringing back George Barrios and Michelle Wilson, who he previously fired, this is what he said. They know the company and their insiders. There's a shorthand with them. I think as he engages in this potential transaction, to have folks there that know the company, that know... Maybe certain things that happened in the past shouldn't have happened. That certain things that were acceptable years ago are not acceptable now. I believe that modern day rules should apply to the modern day. I don't think it should apply to the past. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I would say certain things happened that should not have happened. But to say that it was acceptable back then. And it may not be acceptable today. No, it was not acceptable back then either, Nick. And him trying to justify it that way is beyond ridiculous. And yes, I listened to the, to the interview for the full context. I didn't just listen to the clip that was floating around on Twitter. You have all the defenders come out. Oh, this is taken out of context. That's not what he was asked about. He was very clearly referring to the Vince store. What else would he have been referring to? It was actually very confusing to me. I went back and listened to it two more times, that part. Because he was asked about the board. And he was asked about Barrios and Wilson. It was almost like, why would he even say that? That wasn't even what he was asked about. 
What else would he be referring to when he says that certain things that happened in the past should not have happened? And he just got done talking about the Vince stuff in this interview. What else would he be referring to? It was unbelievable. The people trying to defend this. So I'm going to cut that shit off right now. It was very clear to me what he was referring to. I would say it's unbelievable. But it really isn't. In the position that he is in when you were trying to keep your job and not upset the apple cart. He's saying what he feels he has to say. Whether Does he actually believe it? I don't know. I don't know the man, so I don't know. But what a terrible take from a guy who seems pretty savvy. And I was shocked that he said that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Simmons asks if Vince could hypothetically sell the company without the board's consent. Question, why even have a board, if that's the case? If he has 81% of the voting you know, power, why even have a board? Nick Khan said the misconception was that the board were puppets for Vince all along. But he denied that. And he pointed out, look at what happened last summer. And the investigation and everything that went down. That's proof that the board was actually very competent and effective. (laughs) Yes, they were so competent and effective that Vince came back and blew it up. It was so competent that he kicked three people off and two others quit as a result. And now he no longer has to worry about any of that, which is what he always wanted. Tony Khan's name was also brought up. I got to make sure we don't get our cons confused here. And when asked about him and if he felt threatened at all by him, this is what Nick Khan had to say. I've never met the kid. Tony Khan seems like a nice kid to me. I don't know him. Tony Khan, by the way, is 40 years old. Nick Khan is only six years older than him. But let's continue. I've met his dad, who I randomly sat next to at some sports business luncheon that Stephanie and I went to about a year and a half ago. I thought the dad was as impressive as could be. I think there was a piece on him in the New York Times about a year or so prior to that. Self-made billionaire, I believe Pakistani immigrant. Could not be more impressed by him. He made his money in the auto parts industry, I believe. So he knows that business inside out. I don't believe he is involved in the wrestling side of the business. I'm talking about the storylines and such outside of financing it. He has the pockets, and that's awesome, and I'm sure his kid appreciates it, but I was never threatened by that. But I don't feel threatened by anyone or anything. I don't care when then he made a comment about, I guess if somebody waved a rattlesnake in my face, I'd be intimidated. But otherwise, he says nothing, uh, nothing bothers him. He goes, I don't care what anyone else is doing. I care what we're doing. And as long as we can have the best product with the best talent and the best writers, I think that we are going to be in good shape. I will say this, anyone can run a business at a loss as long as someone continues to finance it. And when asked if he was referring to AEW with that comment, he said, I don't know, I haven't seen their books. But it was pretty clear what he was talking about. Not only that, he must have called Tony Kidd, or A-Kid, not to be confused with uh, Axiom in NXT. 
He must have called him kid or a kid at least four or five times in this interview, by my count. I haven't seen that much shade since I bought new curtains from my living room. He was very complimentary of Tony's father. But the disrespect, the disrespect for his son, you could hear it in his voice. And, and hey, fair play to Nick Khan. Tony Khan took some shots at him first when he called him a con man from Connecticut in a promo on Dynamite a couple of years ago. So Nick gave him a receipt. What's good for one is good for the other. I don't have an issue with Nick Khan taking shots at Tony Khan. What's good for one is good for the other. He's a smart guy. This Nick Khan, which is why it is very surprising that he would say something as stupid as what he said about the Vince stuff when he made that comment. Devon Dudley was released by WWE on Thursday afternoon. He had been working as a producer for them since 2016. He later tweeted the company, WWE, and I have decided to part ways and feel this is the best decision for all parties. It's been a pleasure and an honor to work with the young talent as well as everybody over in NXT as well as working with some of the best producers in the world. We'd like to thank Vince, Paul, Triple H, Stephanie, and my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for the opportunity that was given. I am very excited to see where God brings me next. Oh, my brother, testify. There was an ECW reunion show uh, being promoted last month by Rob Feinstein that Devon was advertised for. Devon said he had gotten approval to appear, and then before the show, he was told he wasn't allowed to attend. And he was going to attend anyway, and then he got threatened with being fired, and then he pulled out of the show at the last minute. Fast forward one month, and they let him go anyway. Uh, we don't know if that had anything to do with this. He kind of framed it in his tweet like, we, we've we mutually agreed to part ways. I mean, he got dumped by WWE. Uh this happening so soon after the ECW reunion stuff last month is is kind of suspect. It's definitely very fishy, but again, we don't have any details beyond the fact that he is no longer working for the company. WWE did not just discontinue Devon Dudley this week. They also discontinued all of its independent content on the network. Namely, ICW out of Scotland and Progress Wrestling. ICW issued the following statement. ICW's contract with WWE has come to an end. We will be revealing the new homes of ICW programming in due course. In the meantime, all unaired programming will air on YouTube and ICW On Demand. And in their own statement, Progress announced, Progress Wrestling's first show of 2023 was named Start Spreading the News for a very clear reason, and they can now confirm that it is its very positive and long-standing partnership with WWE Network is coming to a harmonious end. After six years and nearly 50 shows, both promotions are pursuing different... Has it been six years? They've had independent content on there? After six years and nearly 50 shows, both promotions are pursuing different digital media strategies, and fans of both WWE and Progress are going to be the beneficiaries. As one chapter closes, so they say, another one opens, and Progress Management can confirm that they are in discussions with a number of high-profile global digital media and streaming options. I wasn't watching any of the indie content on there, but it is alarming that one day it's there and the next day it's gone. Because if they can do it to the indie stuff, who's to say that they don't do it to some of their own classic content? You know, or the old WCW content. I doubt too many people are watching that stuff either, but I mean, today it's the indie stuff. Tomorrow it could be something that I do watch. It makes me nervous. 
Like a sale makes me nervous because who knows how a new owner, depending on who buys it, would handle the library. There's a lot of uncertainty there. Now, Raw's 30th anniversary show is live tomorrow night from a very happy Philadelphia after their Eagles blew out the Giants last night. They have a ton of legends advertised for the show, including Hulk Hogan, who apparently is being recruited to Scientology. That is that is the word going around. That's the new rumor. Wouldn't it be poetic for all that gawker money that he won if uh, the Scientologists end up bleeding him dry? Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, The Undertaker, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Diamond Dallas Page, Road Dogg, X-Pac, The Godfather, Ted DiBiase at IRS, Jerry Lawler, Jimmy Hart, Teddy Long, and Alundra Blaze are all being advertised. The Bella Twins were being advertised. They are no longer being advertised, which has just ruined the entire show for me, I tell you. PW Insider says that Lita will be there as well. She'll be filming content for A&E, so if she's going to be there anyway, I don't see why she wouldn't show up on camera. Uh, we might even see her pop up in the Women's Royal Rumble match. Now, on Monday, they announced that there would be an acknowledgement ceremony at Raw 30 for Roman Reigns, with all the generations of the bloodline represented. Rikishi was said to be attending, Samu of the Head Shrinkers, possibly Afa and Sika. And it got me thinking that this is going to be the seed planted for a WrestleMania match with The Rock. This was the closest thing that we've gotten to seeming confirmation without actually getting confirmation that The Rock would be wrestling a WrestleMania. Uh, I did not think The Rock would be wrestling a WrestleMania. That was my prediction on episode 789 a few weeks ago. I said Rock is going to end up not doing it. And Cody is going to win the Rumble, he's going to take down Roman at WrestleMania, and then eventually Cody will drop the championship to Seth Rollins, who gets payback for all the losses he took to Cody last year. So that's what I said on the prediction show. But then they announced this, and I thought, well, why would they be doing this unless they were using it as the kickoff to a program with The Rock and Roman Reigns? Rock doesn't show up to acknowledge Roman as the tribal chief. Roman feels disrespected. And you go from there. Then, in this week's Observer, Meltzer wrote that unless he changes his mind in the next few days, The Rock has indicated to WWE that he will not have the time needed to get into the kind of shape he believes he needs to be in to do a main event match with Roman Reigns. And Meltzer qualified that by admitting that it could all just be, you know, a a big secret that they're keeping from everybody. It looks like it's not going to rain tomorrow, but it's also possible that it might. Uh... And I laughed because the way it was worded, it's as if this all just snuck up on The Rock. Like, it hasn't been discussed for over a year now. Like, he didn't literally add a scene to Young Rock last year teasing this very match for WrestleMania. And and make no mistake, if the match with Rock and Roman does not happen in Los Angeles at WrestleMania this year, I don't believe it ever happens. I think it's now or never. Now, I know there's a difference between being in shape, which Rock obviously is. I mean, I think this guy sleeps in the gym, and being in ring shape. They are not the same thing. Truth be told, if we're being honest here, when Rock wrestled John Cena both times, first in Miami and then the next year in New Jersey, he looked gassed out within minutes of the match. And that was 10 years ago. So it is entirely possible that he wanted to do it, 
He thought it would be fun. He didn't have any issue putting over his cousin. I always said Rock was one of the most generous top guys, you know, one of the most uh, giving main eventers when it came to putting other people over. I, I never heard stories or read stories online like I did for other people about how they didn't want to do a job or they were a pain in the ass, they didn't want to lose. If you look at his body of work, he lost to plenty of people. I am sure The Rock would have no issue coming in and doing the job for his cousin. So all of those things could be true, and he really was thinking about doing it, and then he just came to the realization that, look, I, I can't do a full match like I used to. Or he just doesn't want to get hurt. He's also got the XFL relaunch coming up next month. We've talked about this already. WWE had a deadline. They needed an answer from him by now because Triple H needs to move ahead with making his WrestleMania plans. He can't just keep waiting around for The Rock. He needed an answer. I still didn't believe the report when I read that in The Observer. It felt to me like they were just saving him as a surprise. Until yesterday. When WWE announced a major change to the show tomorrow night... The Bloodline Acknowledgement Ceremony has been cancelled. The angle has been dropped. And in its place now will be what WWE is calling the Trial of Sami Zayn. I don't believe we've had a trial on WWE television since the trial of Eric Bischoff many years ago. This is what the new preview says from WWE.com. Weeks of tumultuousness and questionable decision-making have caused dissension in the Bloodline. A wild Royal Rumble contract signing between Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens left the bloodline wiped out and Sami Zayn holding the contract. Now, the head of the table and the undisputed champion has decided to hold a tribal court and put Sami Zayn on trial for his recent actions. What will the final verdict be on the honorary Oos? Tune in to Raw 30 this Monday on USA. You know, NBC just brought back a new version of Night Court. And they brought back John Larroquette to reprise his role as Dan Fielding, only this time he's in the public defender role instead of the uh, the prosecutor. Maybe, maybe there'll be some kind of Night Court tie-in here to help promote their new show, since it's all owned by the same corporate overlord anyway. But there it is, and, and you have to wonder if that means that The Rock really is a no-go for WrestleMania. That's how it reads to me doesn't mean that he won't be at WrestleMania, only that he will not be wrestling Roman Reigns. Which, honestly, I'm fine with that. I'm perfectly fine with that. You guys know that I think Cody Rhodes should win the Royal Rumble. I'm, I'm already giving away one of my uh, predictions here. But you guys know that I think Cody Rhodes should win the Royal Rumble. WrestleMania should be Cody and Roman for the championship. In a perfect world, it, it would be Sami Zayn. In a perfect world, it would be Sami Zayn as the one to dethrone Roman Reigns as the payoff to this entire bloodline story. But I just cannot see them doing it. I don't think they see Sami Zayn in that role. They don't see him as the guy to dethrone Roman to be the champion. They don't look at him that way. So Cody is the guy. What that means for Sami tomorrow night is the real question. Is this it? Is this the night? That Sami Zayn finally gets whacked. Is this the end of the honorary use? Five days before the Royal Rumble. On SmackDown Friday night, there was supposed to be a contract signing for the Rumble with Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. Owens got the jump on the bloodline. He gave Roman a pop-up powerbomb through a table. Then he signed the contract. Sami Zayn showed up late because Roman had sent him off as an errand boy to make sure the SUVs were ready, the engine was running, 
talk to the pilots, make sure the jet's all fueled up so we can get the hell out of here after this segment is over. He missed the entire attack. Owens then, when he saw Sammy standing on the apron, threw the contract at him and ran off into the crowd. And something I did not pick up on at the time, but Andre got into my mentions and he pointed it out to me. Roman Reigns never signed the contract. That that I knew. But what I did not pick up on was the look that Sami Zayn had on his face when he looked down at the contract after Kevin Owens had signed it. And how every other member of the bloodline was staring a hole through Sami. Because when the segment was over and Roman was laid out, it was Sami Zayn standing there with that Royal Rumble contract in his hand. It was actually a tremendous parting shot as they went off the air. But if you saw the look on Sami's face as he was looking at the contract and then looking up at Owens in the crowd and Owens was looking back at him, almost like he was looking to see Sammy's reaction to what he had just seen when he looked down and saw the contract. It makes me wonder, what did Kevin Owens write down that would elicit that kind of reaction? Did Kevin Owens sign Sami Zayn's name to the contract instead of his own? Now, why would he do that and give up a championship match? Did he sign Sammy's name in place of his own? Or did he sign both of their names to the contract to make the match at the Rumble a triple threat? And I know that's not how contracts work, but it's wrestling. In the wrestling world, this is how contracts work. How do you think Chris Benoit got into that uh, triple threat main event of WrestleMania 20? Right? He, didn't he come out? He super kicked Shawn Michaels, put his name on the contract. We've known this for years. This is how contract law works in the world of wrestling. Also in the world of wrestling, you could attempt to murder somebody and not go to jail. You could go to jail, but they'll let you go two hours later on your own recognizance. That's how the law works. It's a very lawless society in the world of wrestling. But that's going to come into play tomorrow night during this trial of Sami Zayn. I I love this. I love this storytelling. I really do. I love what they're doing. They still have to save the singles match, though, with Sami and Roman for Montreal. They have to save that for the Elimination Chamber. But Sami Zayn has to be involved in this match at the Royal Rumble in some way. He is as much a part of this story as anyone. The whole story revolves around him. I just want to watch the show tomorrow night and let it play out and see what comes next. I I still don't think we're getting the end of Sami in the bloodline tomorrow night. I, I don't think he gets whacked just yet. I think they save it for after the Rumble. That's my guess. Also tomorrow night... The Usos defend their Raw Tag Team titles against the Judgment Day, Damian Priest, and Dominic Mysterio, ex-Con Dom. The hope in having the Usos defend the tag belt separately is that it makes the fans think it's more likely that they get beat for one set of belts. Which is smart. I mean, I don't know why it took Triple H this long to start doing that. On SmackDown, they're in the middle of a tag team tournament right now to determine number one contenders for the SmackDown tag team belts. Drew McIntyre and Sheamus are going to uh, beat Hit Row in the semifinals this Friday. Imperium takes on Legato Del Fantasma this Friday. That should be a McIntyre and Sheamus against Imperium final, which I'm sure is where we're headed. Becky Lynch tomorrow night takes on Bailey inside a steel cage. And Austin Theory defends the United States Championship against Bobby Lashley. Speaking of theory, the belief now is that John Cena's WrestleMania opponent will not be Logan Paul, although the idea was pitched. 
It will be Austin Theory, who was the rumored opponent for John Cena at SummerSlam last year, but Cena was not able to work the show. Fightful reported that when Cena worked the SmackDown show in Tampa last month, he filmed an angle backstage that has yet to air with Austin Theory, which is why Theory got pulled from their live event in Toronto that night, even though he was supposed to be in the main event. He got pulled last minute from that show to be in Tampa. Cena is going to be filming a movie in Australia next month for eight weeks. So whatever they filmed with Theory might be the only segment we get out of him before WrestleMania. Uh, John Cena, by the way, is the rumored cover boy for WWE 2K23 if a leak via the Microsoft Store is to be believed. On Friday, a reliable leaker shared data-mined information from the Microsoft Store's back end revealing Cena on the cover and an Xbox release date of March 17th. Which I assume if, if it's if it's a March 17th release date for Xbox, it's probably a March 17th release date for all platforms. Uh, after the image began circulating on social media, tons of accounts got hit with copyright strikes, so make of that what you will. <laughs> the man showed up twice all of last year and he's on the cover. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But anyway, let, let's, uh, enough about that. Let, let's get into these Royal Rumble predictions. Because the show is this Saturday. It's my favorite show of the year. I'll be live on YouTube when it's over, as always. The Rumble is one of the biggest reviews that I do all year. It is the first Royal Rumble. Booked by Triple H. And I'm sure he's going to want to make this a memorable one. Bray Wyatt finally has a match. It is not a traditional match, but it is a match nonetheless. We have not seen him wrestle on TV since he came back. Which means we have not seen him wrestle on TV in probably two years or more. It's going to be a Mountain Dew pitch black match against LA Knight. A match that Fightful says will have, quote, neon elements to it. Whatever the hell that means. Anything goes, pinfall or submission only. I just hope it's halfway decent. You know, with, with Bray and these gimmicks, it can be very hit or miss. Yeah, you remember the Fiend matches? It was dark with the red light. I fucking hate that. On SmackDown Friday night, we had the return of the Firefly Funhouse. And a pretty heavy tease that we are going to get the return of the Fiend at the Royal Rumble. Uncle Howdy seemed pleased in the latest video, you know, seeing Bray tease a return to his dark side. He said, all you needed was a little push. Uh, Bray wins, is my prediction, and LA Knight then is free to move on to something better. Bianca Belair defends the Raw Women's Championship against Alexa Bliss. Probably not a coincidence that Bray and Alexa both have matches on the same card, and there aren't very many other matches on this card other than the two Rumbles and the world title match. Could there be a reunion, some sort of reunion between Alexa and Bray? It, there could be. I hope not. I mean, it's it's been almost a year for Bianca Belair as the champion. And, l- and let me just back up here. 
there could be a cool way to do something with Bray and Alexa. There's a history there. I get that. But for me, it would just feel like you're going backwards. You're just going back to what you were doing before. I don't have any interest in that. But Bianca Belair has been the women's champion now for almost a year. We are this close to WrestleMania and a match with Rhea Ripley. It would be foolish to take the belt off of her now. Bianca retains. Roman Reigns defends the undisputed WWE Universal Championship against Kevin Owens. Or does he? I guess we'll have to see what happened with the contract on Raw tomorrow night. Whatever the match ends up being. With with or without Sami Zayn. Roman Reigns is not losing his titles. Roman's reign will continue. Then we have the Royal Rumble matches. We have a 30-woman Royal Rumble match. Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, Candice LeRae, Shayna Baszler, and Zelina Vega are the only names confirmed so far. Yeah, but I just had a thought, by the way, just to backtrack a little bit here. Let's go back to the Roman Reigns match. Yeah, I was wondering if if maybe what Sammy saw on Friday was that Owens put Sammy's name on the contract. With all these rumors about them maybe wanting to split the titles before WrestleMania, it makes me wonder now if maybe that Owens, again, it's just a matter of signing it. I don't know what else he may have written on there. I don't know why he would have the power to do this, but what if maybe he wrote something in the contract to make it where it was some sort of match, one fall for one championship, one fall for another championship, and Sammy was involved in the match. Could they use this as a way to split the titles before WrestleMania? I don't know. Just a thought. We don't know. It's what I like about it. I'm curious now to see how this plays out tomorrow night. Anyway, back to the uh, 30-woman Royal Rumble match. I mentioned the names that are in there so far. Uh, Those are the only names confirmed so far. I think we get Naomi in the Women's Rumble as a surprise entrant. I think we get Carmella back in the Rumble. I think Chelsea Green is going to be another surprise. And I think that we will see the return of Beth Phoenix. But Rhea Ripley is going to be your 2023 Women's Royal Rumble winner. And if she isn't, then she should be. Even with Beth Phoenix in the match, and Beth Phoenix, you know, she'll be gunning for Rhea Ripley. I'm going to stick with Rhea as my pick to win the Women's Rumble. Now on the men's side, here are the names that we have confirmed so far. Kofi Kingston, he was the first man to declare. Seth Rollins, Bobby Lashley, Austin Theory, Ricochet, Santos Escobar, Omos, Rey Mysterio, Gunther, Braun Strowman, Baron Corbin, Sheamus, Drew McIntyre, and Cody Rhodes. So that leaves 16 spots open. The Rock does not seem very likely. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin is way more likely than The Rock is as a surprise Rumble entrant. That was my number one prediction for 2023, is that we would hear the glass shatter in San Antonio, and Stone Cold would BMF walk his way down to the ring, and that his elimination would set the stage for whatever his WrestleMania match was going to be. Now, here's a theory for you. If L.A. Knight loses to Bray Wyatt, and I'm sure he will, he may then pop up in the Royal Rumble. He could eliminate Steve Austin. Or Austin could eliminate him, and then he eliminates Austin. Basically what Austin did to Bret Hart in 1997. Funny enough, in that same building, where he screwed him. 
I think we get Brock Lesnar back in the Royal Rumble. Right? It's getting close to WrestleMania season. You know Brock's going to be back soon. If he's wrestling Bobby Lashley again at Mania, then they'll eliminate each other. If the match is Lesnar and Gunther, which has been rumored, and Gunther has has done media saying that it's his dream match, then we'll get our first interaction between the two of them. I think we're going to see Edge back in the Rumble, especially if we get Beth Phoenix in the Women's Rumble. I think Edge will be in the Men's Rumble I think Matt Riddle is going to be back in the Rumble. We know he's out of rehab. Originally, WWE said he would be gone for six weeks. I think it's been longer than six weeks now. Uh, so I think he'll pop up in the Rumble. I think Matt Cardona will end up being a surprise entrant in the Rumble. I don't know if it'll be under that name or as Zack Ryder. I'm not sure. It was very weird the other week when I saw that he was uh, filing for the trademark on the Zack Ryder name, which I assume WWE you know, still have the rights to. I don't know what that's all about. But I think Cardona will be a surprise entrant in the Rumble. Pat McAfee, I think, is going to be another surprise entrant in the Rumble. He should be back any week now. I think Dominic Mysterio is going to eliminate his father. And I think Cody Rhodes is going to be your men's Royal Rumble winner for 2023. I think it comes down to Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes. And Cody throws out Seth to punch his ticket to WrestleMania. Now, Fightful had a report out stating that WWE is leaning towards more non-traditional surprises for this year's Royal Rumble matches. I hear that and I get worried because my mind immediately thinks celebrities. You know, Bad Bunny and the like, which we've already seen before. So I'm hoping that's not it. I think that would be very lame. Maybe a non-traditional surprise is more of a forbidden door type of thing. Last year, it was Mickey James as the Impact Knockouts champion appearing in the Royal Rumble, although they announced that in advance. Uh, Mickey just regained the Knockouts title from Jordan Grace last week. Maybe she's getting ready for another Rumble appearance. This will be the annual thing. Impact puts the belt back on Mickey so that she can carry it to the ring with her at the Rumble, and then she gets dumped out five minutes later. But anyway, so it's always fun to fantasy book the Rumble. It's my favorite pay-per-view of the year. My only message to Triple H is don't fuck it up. And I'm going to be live on YouTube Saturday night, uh, immediately after the pay-per-view. Not only will I be live talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Royal Rumble, but we're going to be doing a contest. We got some belts to give away. This is going to be the biggest week in Wrestle Rumble history, because this year is their 10th annual Royal Rumble Pick'em. So they wanted to go out with a week-long Rumble celebration. They've got not one, not two, not three, but four, count them four, different contests. And it all begins with the Rumble kickoff with a chance to win a million dollars, not a million dollars, but... Wrestle Wrestle Rumble's doing well. He ain't doing that well. But it'll be a chance to win a million-dollar belt replica. That'll be for the third-place winner. A stone-cold smoking skull replica for the second-place winner. Or, and I like this, a Bret Hart Signature Series Championship belt for the first-place winner, which is a, if you haven't seen a picture of this thing, it's up on WWE Shop. It's a Winged Eagle replica, which is the belt that Bret held five times, uh, but it's got some Hitman artwork on the strap. I think I may need to enter this contest. Am I allowed to enter this contest? Probably not, right? I can enter this contest under an alias. So uh, if if Mason Sullivan wins the contest, I, I hear he's a great guy. Don't hold it against him. 
But it's only a dollar to enter, as it is for all of these contests. But the cutoff for this one is Monday night, that's tomorrow night, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, when Raw 30 goes off the air, or when it goes on the air. When Raw 30 goes off the air, I will have the opportunity to pick a winner for each one, the first, second, and third place winners, live on my Monday Night Raw stream. Then, on Friday, it is the final SmackDown before the Royal Rumble. It is the Mini Mayhem Contest. Open now through Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern when SmackDown goes live. That's the cutoff. For only a buck, you can walk away with the NWO Old School IC and Million Dollar Mini Belts for third place. The Smoking Skull, Brahma Bull, and Edge Spinner Belts for second place. Or the Mini Winged Eagle Collection with belts in white, black, and blue. For the first place winner. And again, I'll be picking the winner live on the SmackDown stream on Friday night. And then it all culminates on Saturday. It is the straight rumbling contest cut off again 8pm Eastern. With a live drawing on YouTube during my Royal Rumble review. And peep this. The third place winner receives a Brock Lesnar Signature Series replica. Second place winner receives a WCW United States title replica. And the first place winner gets a special Macho Man Randy Savage Legacy title, which comes in a commemorative box. You could pay over 600 bucks for it if you go to WWE Shop. Why would you do that when you could potentially get it for a dollar? That's all it costs for a single entry, and you can enter as many times as you like. And as always, Wrestle Rumble is hosting its annual Rumble Pick'em. Cutoff time is Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern. With the winner to be announced the next day. That'll be announced by Wrestle Rumble, not by me. Uh, so how do you get in? Don't look at me. <laughs> I'm just the master of ceremonies. Go to WrestleRumble.com. Right now you can get those entries in. You'll see all of them listed. Pick the one you want. Pick them all. But make sure you get in on this. This is going to be great. I can't wait to uh, be part of this. I thank Wrestle Rumble as always. And this comes to us from sescoops.com, our friends over there. I just mentioned Bret Hart. Bret the Hitman Hart is getting into the bar business. There is a new bar opening next month in his hometown of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, called Hitman's Bar. And Bret tweeted about it on Thursday. He says that it will be a place where everybody knows your name. No, actually, he said it's a place to gather, enjoy a great meal, live, laugh, and celebrate. Grand opening details are forthcoming. This is not the first time that the Hitman has influenced the world of adult beverages. In 2018, Calgary's Village Brewery released a citrus hibiscus ale called the Village Hitman Citrus Hibiscus Ale, which it described as follows. Like a sharpshooter, the Hitman takes you by surprise. Unlike his contenders, he's not bitter. Well, some people would contest that. Bill Goldberg would contest that, but... Says he's not bitter. Instead, this champion has a subtle bite. A citrus tang of orange and lemon tag, uh, tag teamed with hibiscus and fragrant hops. I said hops. That's right. It catches you off guard. Before you know it, the hitman has a hold on you. It just sounds like he's, uh, hitting on you. Uh, there's also a brewing company out of Denver that has its own Bret Hart themed drink called Bret the Hot Man Tart. <laughs> which is a tart bourbon barrel-aged sour IPA, although he is not directly affiliated with that one, which might explain why they spelled Brett with two Ts. 
Uh, although they do have his likeness on the bottle. I saw a picture of the bottle. It's got, you know, a little Hitman illustration on there with the shades and everything. I need to find that. I don't know where, but I need to find that one. I have to find that. Brett the Hopman Tart. And a quick update from Dax Harwood on why he may now be hesitant to return to WWE. He has said before that their AEW contracts, FTRs, they're up in April. So we know that. But uh, this involves a Vince McMahon story. He was on his FTR with Dax Harwood podcast and he discussed a negative interaction that he had with the boss backstage at the 2019 Clash of Champions pay-per-view. Uh, on that show, it was the Revival. They were a Raw team at the time. They won the SmackDown Tag Team titles off the New Day that night. And they had the best match on the show. Clearly, the wild card rule was still in effect at that time. But this is what Dax said. He goes to New Day, he being Vince, and says, Hey, great job, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. They walk off. He leaves me and Cash there, and that's when he says, Everyone tells me that you guys are the next great tag team. Everyone tells me you're the next Arn and Tully. Well, that's your problem. You're the next Arn and Tully. You're just great wrestlers. That's all. And he walks off. And like, this son of a bitch thinks that he just hurt my feelings by saying that, but he didn't. He made my dreams come true by telling me that we're the next Arn and Tully. That we're just a great tag team. We're just great wrestlers. He just didn't like us. He wasn't enamored with us. We were so proud of that moment and he decided to take a shit on us. That's the kind of thing as a human being I will never forget how you try to make people feel. The fans were with us so obviously we didn't hurt your business. We went out there. We put our life on the line for you. For your company. And coming to the back with as much endorphins running through our body and you decide to say that to us. That's one of the things I can't ever forget, and we talk about what I'm going to do in the future, and now I think about that, and with him being back at the helm, makes things a little questionable for me. So, there you go. That that may uh, end up factoring into their decision on whether or not they go back to WWE uh, or stick with AEW. We'll see. They have until April, and then they'll uh, have to make a decision about what their future is going to be. I think Dax Harwood, you know what he needs? I think Dax needs a good uh, Brett the Hopman Tart. <laughs> That's what I think. I think Dax needs that. I think Dax and I, we could share a Brett the, the Hopman Tart, and uh, we can talk more about this. So let's get into some other news and notes here, because this, this was the other big story here this week, and this is something that uh, I was very excited when I was watching what went down yesterday. New Japan hosted its second night of Wrestle Kingdom yesterday from the Yokohama Arena for the second year in a row, pitting the stars of New Japan against the stars of Pro Wrestling Noah, with the top five matches being a best-of-five series, pitting the members of the Los Ingobernables de Japón faction against Noah's Congo stable. So we had Tadasuke beating Bushi, Manabu Soya beating Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi beating Hajime Ohara, Shingo Takagi beat Katsuhiko Nakajima. And in the fifth and deciding match, Tetsuya Naito won it for LIJ with a win over Keno. After the match, Keiji Muto got into the ring and challenged Naito to what will be his final match ever at the Tokyo Dome on February 21st. This is his real final match. I feel like this guy has had more final matches than Terry Funk at this point. 
On New Year's Day, he wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura, right, in what was supposed to be his final ever singles match as the Great Muda. He had his final New Japan match at Wrestle Kingdom on January 4th. He had his final match ever as uh, the Great Muda in general, not just singles, this morning. And I'll have more on that here in a minute. And now he's having his final match, period, as himself, against Naito at the Tokyo Dome. So Naito accepted. He said that he would clear his schedule to make sure that he can be there. So there you go. Naito is going to get his Tokyo uh, Tokyo Dome main event after all this year. Uh, there's a history here. These two had a match at the Dome at Wrestle Kingdom 6. That was the same show where Okada returned from Excursion and he debuted his new Rainmaker character. So it's been a while, uh, but Muda beat Naito on that show. So I think it's appropriate that Naito will be able to return the favor and, and be the man to retire Muto. The bigger story coming out of the show and what had everybody buzzing was the angle that they shot involving Okada, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, and Kaito Kiyomiya, the reigning GHC Heavyweight Champion. If Okada is the king of New Japan, then Kiyomiya is the ace of, of Noah. I can't say that I've seen a lot of his matches, but I have seen his name pop up a lot about how great he is, and, and now I have to go you know, seek out some of his best matches from somewhere. Uh, but they were on opposite teams in a tag team match. It was Okada and Togi Makabe against Kiyomiya and Yoshiki Inamura. Some background first. Early in the pandemic, Kiyomiya started calling out Okada in interviews, even though they work for you know rival promotions or separate promotions. I say rival promotions. I guess they're rival promotions. They're not rival promotions in the way that CMLL and AAA are, uh, you know, fight to the death rival promotions. But he started calling out Okada in interviews. And then last year, when they announced the first New Japan vs. Noah crossover show, Okada was interviewed and he just buried this kid. <laughs> and it's not that he said anything really nasty or anything. He buried him in a very passive way. It, it Kind of like the way Nick Khan buried Tony Khan in that interview that I talked about earlier, right? He was just like, ah, you know, Kiyomiya, I guess, is their champion or, you know, he's their top guy. He's just another body on their roster. You know, to him, he's just another body. And so Kiyomiya again called out Okada and Okada ignored him. He big leagued him, said he doesn't deal with people lesser than him. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The main event of that show last year was Okada and Tanahashi beating Kiyomiya and Muto, and it ended with Okada pinning Kiyomiya after a rainmaker. So not only did Okada disrespect this kid, is only in his late 20s, but he beat him as well. Well, this has been simmering for a while. Fast forward to yesterday's match. And again, Okada big time this kid. Kiyomiya wanted to start the match with Okada. Okada let Makabe start the match instead. Kiyomiya was not even worth starting the match. He wasn't even worth his time. They were not even a full two minutes into the match. Okada had Inamura in a rear chin lock. 
And Kiyomiya had enough. He got into the ring. He started kicking Okada in the back to try to break the hold. Kicked him three times. Okada is no-selling every single one of these kicks. Barely flinched. So Kiyomiya kicks him flush in the face. And Okada immediately grabs his face. He crumples to the to the mat. He's lucky he uh, didn't get his nose broken. He was bleeding from the forehead. You could see a lump forming on his forehead already. And Okada lost his mind. <laughs> Okada went into murder mode. He knocked Kiyomiya off the apron into the guardrail, followed him outside. He proceeded to stiff the hell out of him. He gave that boy a receipt. To the point where I wasn't sure if it was a case where he was legitimately angry that he just got kicked in the face and he started shooting on him or if I was being worked. And that's the best part of wrestling. It's when it makes you wonder, hey, wait a minute, is this a shoot or is this a work? I thought it was a shoot until Kiyomiya gave him that German suplex on the floor and then I knew, okay, all right. (laughs) But they had me right up until the German. You know, Okada just beat the hell out of him. Like he stole money from him. And then Kiyomiya fought back. Okada got pulled away from him. He broke free. They started brawling again. Uh, This went on for about, I don't know, three minutes maybe before the referee finally called the match off. Kevin Kelly on commentary was so good here. He was scolding the referee. I think it was a Noah referee scolding him for not stopping the match sooner. You know, one of these champions is going to get hurt. You got to call for the bell. And eventually he did. But even when Okada went to go pick him up to slam him on the announce desk, uh, Kiyomiya deadweighted him. I still wasn't sure at that point. This is before the German suplex. I still wasn't sure. Is, is this real? What's going on here? So he slams him on the table anyway. Then Okada grabs one of the announcer's uh, tablets. It might have been Chris Charlton's uh, tablet. And he just throws it at Kiyomiya. So Kiyomiya comes back. He blasts Okada with a running dropkick to the face. This was fucking incredible. Kiyomiya got on the mic and challenged Okada to face him in a match. Okada went to the back. Kevin Kelly said, it's not Okada's fault that Kiyomiya is not over because he's not. I love the New Japan announcer being biased against the Noah guy. Kevin Kevin Kelly is the best play-by-play announcer in wrestling today. This was the best worked shoot that I have seen in years. It's possible that Okada was upset. They they had a plan and and maybe, you know, hey, you you cut me open. Because I can't ever remember seeing him draw blood. You know, Okada, Okada doesn't do blood. But man, it, it, it really helped sell this entire thing. And when Okada got to the back, the camera was following him through the hallway. He was furious. I, I've never seen him before. I've never seen this side of Okada before. This is exactly what he needed. This is the most interesting Okada's been in a while. So now, we bring it back to Muda. Because this ties in with Muda's final match next month. The Great Muda had his last match this morning. As the Great Muta. Teaming with Sting and Darby Allen at Yokohama Arena. I saw the clip of Sting's entrance this morning. It was awesome that they played his original turbocharged theme from WCW. Uh, from the Surfer Sting days. And then turbocharged transitioned into his AEW entrance. And the snow began to fall. Uh, they beat Akira, Hakushi, and Naomichi Marafuji. Hakushi was doing a rope walk. Muta misted him and he fell. Sting followed with the Scorpion Death Drop, Darby hit the Coffin Drop, and then Muda finished him off with a second Shining Wizard. Uh, The Great Kabuki was there. 
There's a blast from the past. Muda's storyline father from the WCW days. There's a, a very cool shot before the match of Muda, Kabuki, Sting, and Darby all posing together in the ring. Uh, when Muda first came to WCW in 89, Gary Hart, who managed Muda at the time, claimed that Muda was the son of Kabuki. And Kabuki was the original, you know, face-painted Asian wrestler to spit mist at his opponents. Gary Hart managed Kabuki in world class years before he started managing Muda in WCW. Uh, the great Kabuki, by the way, as an aside, the great Kabuki is also, to this day, one of the most random entrants that I have ever seen in a Royal Rumble match. They brought him in for the 94 Royal Rumble. He was one of Mr. Fuji's henchmen. I think uh, Tenru might have been there too, but I know Kabuki was one of them. Uh, to help Yokozuna beat The Undertaker in their uh, casket match that night. And then Kabuki came back out. He was in the Rumble. I think he lasted a couple of minutes and, and that was the end of that. So anyway, that was a cool moment. I mentioned Muda though. Wrestling uh, as Keiji Muto in his actual last match next month at the Tokyo Dome against Naito. It was announced this morning that there will be a singles match between Kazuchika Okada and Kaito Kiyomiya. It'll be the IWGP champion against the GHC champion, non-title. And it will be taking place February 21st at that Tokyo Dome show. They're going to have talent from New Japan, NOAA, Dragon Gate, DDT, All Japan, and Tokyo Joshi Pro on that show. And it surprises me because after this angle that they did, Okada and Kiyomiya is a main event on any show. After this angle... The top champion from both companies one-on-one for the first time? How is that not a main event? Except on this one, it's not going to be. They're going to be second from the top because it's Muda's final match. So there's no way that Muda and, and Naito you know, don't headline the Tokyo Dome. Uh, maybe they're going to do a time limit draw, you know, and they don't want that to go on last. I, I don't know. I cannot imagine that Okada loses to him. It's either a draw or Okada wins. But that surprises me that they wouldn't save it for another show. I mean, I know it's the Dome. It's a big building, but either way, they have me invested. I need to see that match. MLW has a new television deal. It is their biggest one yet. MLW Underground will be their flagship show going forward on the Reels Network. That's Reels with a Z at the end because it sounds cooler. Uh, MLW Fusion will remain on Pro Wrestling TV and be in sports, but Underground is going to be their new uh, flagship show. That'll be airing Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, immediately following NXT. They'll also be airing classic MLW content weekly at 11 p.m. Uh, there were no teases for this. This this kind of came out of nowhere because if you remember the whole fiasco with MLW and Tubi, you know they thought that they had a deal with Tubi. It was going to be a game changer for the company. And then it all went to hell. Literally hours before they were going to put that press release out to announce it, uh, it went to hell, which is what led to the ongoing lawsuit that MLW filed against uh, WWE. So they didn't want to say anything until they knew that it was a done deal. They kept their mouth shut. Per PW Insider, the network has seen their past pro wrestling content do good numbers, and they are very much on board with MLW. Uh, The deal was actually done late last year. Uh, but it was kept quiet until Reels was ready to make the official announcement. Reels, for those who don't know, it's it's a legitimate network. It's available in 68 million homes in the U.S. 
usually one of the top 30 cable stations. I, I am not familiar with them because I don't have reels on YouTube TV. So I'm not going to be able to watch it. But I guess uh, the network is best known for their On Patrol live show, which evidently does well enough that it usually beats AEW Rampage head-to-head. So for MLW, this is a big deal. You know, they've been on Vice before. They've been on Access TV, which airs Impact and New Japan content. They've been on Be In Sport and, and will continue to be on Be In Sport. But this will be the most visibility that they have ever had on TV. And Kevin Nash was in the news. So I want to just briefly talk about Kevin Nash. Because as you're aware, Kevin Nash lost his son, Tristan. Uh, only 26 years old, lost him back in October. And there was a clip going around from a recent Click This podcast. Kevin Nash has his uh, podcast with Sean Oliver. And in the clip, Nash says, Today is week 12 that I lost my boy. And he said, Time flies when you've got a gun in your mouth. I mean, time flies when you're having fun. And Sean Oliver Kind of said, don't, yeah, you can't say that. You can't joke around like that, especially since you, you own guns. And Nash shot back and said, I can do whatever the fuck I want as long as I leave a note. And so that got a lot of people very concerned. Concerned enough that per TMZ on Thursday, and usually when you hear about a wrestler in TMZ, that is not a good thing. Uh, thankfully this, this wasn't that dire, but According to the story, local law enforcement made contact with Kevin Nash after he hinted at having suicidal thoughts earlier this week. They actually did a wellness check on Kevin Nash because certain people, fans, I guess, called the cops and said that they were worried about him. So the story says, thankfully, the WWE legend stated he has no plans to harm himself. The Volusia County Sheriff's Office in Florida tells TMZ Sports deputies reached out to 63-year-old Nash following the comments he made about his son's death uh, on his podcast. We're told that Kevin explained to them that he has no intention to act on what he said, and he was seemingly doing okay when they checked on him in person. Uh, Nash did later on, uh, later that afternoon, in fact, went on Twitter and posted, Everyone take a breath. Let's not take my biggest coping mechanism of sarcasm and blow it out of proportion. I appreciate the concern and the fact that others find it a perfect time for insults. Continue to get your updates on TMZ and wrestling sites. I've got legs to train today. A parent losing a child is the worst possible thing. It's just completely unnatural. It should never happen. It's it's a terrible, terrible thing. This man lost his best friend and his son in the same year, within months of each other. And he has no other kids. So naturally, people are going to be concerned about his mental state. There's really nothing that anybody can say. You you just have to let the man grieve in his own way and just check up on him. You know, he, he's got a great support system. He's got a lot of friends, obviously a lot of fans, who are worried about him. And that's really all you can do. You know, Nash is a sarcastic guy, but you hear a comment like that, and yes, it's understandable that people are going to be concerned. But it's only because they're worried about, you know, him and his well-being. 
you know, people subscribing to his YouTube channel to help get it past 100,000 subscribers so they could get that silver play button that YouTube mails out to you when you cross 100K. That was amazing. You know, because Tristan, his son, was was involved in the creation and the production of the podcast. And it was Christian, or not Christian, but it was uh, Tristan's goal to get the channel above 100K so they can get the play button. And then he died. And Nash went on his podcast and said, we got to get past 100 you know, K on YouTube. And there were people who, some people, not a lot of people, but there were some people who jumped on him for that and said, oh, you're using your son's death to try to get YouTube subs. you know. And these are people who probably didn't even have any clue that Tristan was involved in the show in the first place. They're just talking out of their fucking ass because... You know, you got to bring other people down because their lives are miserable. So that's what people do. Uh, so there were comments like that. And what I've noticed about Nash, when I do see clips from his show and he goes off on people, and I actually think they've turned off the comment section on his YouTube videos. I don't think you can comment on them anymore. Um, he would get a lot of positive comments, but you're always going to have trolls. You're always going to have trolls and fucking idiots who say stupid shit. And you've just got to try to tune them out. He doesn't do a very good job of doing that. He is very, very sensitive to troll comments and people. It could be one negative comment. And there was one YouTube clip he spent five minutes, you know, going off on, on this person. And it's like, well, the majority of the comments are positive, but he, it bothers him. It bothers him. So he talks a lot about trolls and, and people like that. But um, I thought it was a very, very cool thing that he mentioned that on the podcast and I think at the time, maybe his channel had 60-something thousand subs. And in a span of maybe a week, if that, it shot up to almost 140,000. Like, it was it was incredible. And this past week, he posted a picture of the silver play button that YouTube sent him, sitting on a mantle next to his son's urn. Because that was Tristan's goal. And so you see that that image of the play button sitting next to his son's ashes, and it's it's a heavy, you know, it's a heavy image. Um, very cool that people came together to do that for him. Uh, there's a lot of love there, so I hope he he realizes that. Last thing we we need is more fucking tragedy in wrestling. So hopefully everything is okay there, and he's uh, coping as best he can. Let's get to some of your mailbag questions and get the hell out of here, because it's Sunday, and I've already missed lunch, but I'd like to have a snack. Uh, TheSolidMonster at gmail.com, that is the email address. Email me there. Please include where you are from and your name when you do so. We'll kick things off here with Peter from Wellington. Uh, is this New Zealand? I think it might be New Zealand. Wellington. Anyway. Where do you think the storyline is going with Soraya and Tony Storm turning heel on Dynamite? Will they recruit someone like Ruby Soho or maybe even bring in Naomi to take on the AEW Originals? Uh, I talked about this on Wednesday night. I think that's uh, exactly what we're getting is an AEW Outsiders against AEW Originals angle, which I think could be a pretty compelling story if they do it right. Uh, I think that could be a lot of fun. You know, Tony Storm had a match with Willow Nightingale on Dynamite. After beating her, she and Soraya beat down Willow. Ruby Soho ran out to make the save because she and Willow have been tag team partners recently. Uh, I think Ruby is going to turn on her. I, look, I thought Ruby was going to turn on her right then and there when she ran out, and she didn't. Uh, it still might. You know, Ruby turns on Willow, goes heel, 
links up with Soraya and Tony Storm for a match at Revolution against Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Hikaru Shida. I think that's the direction, uh, you know, the AEW original. Look, Mercedes could always link up with the AEW Outsiders down the road if she ever does decide to come into AEW. Then it becomes four on three, right? Then you get Soraya and Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter and Mercedes. The AEW Originals, they need a fourth person. That's where Jade Cargill steps in. Or Chris Statlander, either one. Links up with the AEW Originals. So long as the Originals are put over in the end, I think that could be a really fun program. Because ideally, you know, you want to put your homegrown talent over. You know, Soraya is their talent now. Tony Storm is their talent. Ruby Soho is their talent. They're all under AEW contract, but... You know, it's it's the perception that, oh, these are former WWE people and they're not really one of us. In the end, you want to put your homegrown talent over. As long as that's the end result of it, I think it could be a really fun program. Athena would be a good fit for the outsider crew, but it doesn't really work. She's the Ring of Honor women's uh, champion right now. Tony Khan has said he doesn't want, he really wants to phase down using Ring of Honor. Ta- and we've seen Brian Cage and people on Dynamite recently, but... He wants to phase that down. He doesn't really want to use the Ring of Honor crew on AEW television, so that's why Athena doesn't work. If, if she wasn't part of the Ring of Honor roster right now, Athena would be a perfect fit for this. She just went heel not that long ago. Uh, Steve from Ontario, Canada. Since it looks like WWE is trying to get the tag team titles split for WrestleMania, and we are going to have two matches now, well, you're, you're, you're making an assumption there. Does it make Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against the Usos at WrestleMania for the SmackDown Tag Team title suddenly feel much less important? I don't know about you, but that was the match I was most looking forward to because if it was for the undisputed Tag Team titles, uh, well, that's why he was looking forward to it. Now it just seems less important. He said, if I were booking, Jailhouse Dom would be going one-on-one with his father. John Cena would be wrestling Stone Cold. And since I could care less about celebrities, I would just do Logan Paul against Bad Bunny for the fans that actually care about them. Maybe it's just me, but after this week's Raw, I find myself much less interested in WrestleMania this year. What are your thoughts? Well, we don't know if the Judgment Day are going to win the tag team titles. It is it is just as possible that this is a Triple H move to try to add some unpredictability to these matches where if people think, oh, the titles are split now, so the Usos could lose one of them. Maybe it adds a little more drama to a match like the one we're going to get tomorrow. Now, I'm hoping that's all it is. I, I agree with you. You and I are in agreement. I do not think that they should split the titles and change one of them. I think you've made it this far. The story is going to be Owens and Sammy going after the Usos. Keep the titles unified until WrestleMania. You could always find a way to split them coming out of Mania, especially if there's a draft. So I agree with you. I would not take one set of belts and beat the Usos now and then, you know, it does take some of the shine off WrestleMania. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, we've got Ty 
from Abijan, Ivory Coast. I think this is the first email I've ever gotten from the Ivory Coast. With Ring of Honor's failure at getting a TV deal, what are your thoughts on ROH becoming a sub-label of AEW? I think it would make more sense for a show like Rampage to be replaced by AEW Presents Ring of Honor and booked with the same emphasis as Dynamite. It would effectively get ROH a TV deal and increase booking potential of AEW as a whole with divided and set rosters and, quote, cross-promotional matches with ROH. I also think AEW could use Honor Club as a broader streaming service which houses a variety of content like gameplays and talk shows alongside the old ROH library to increase their subscriber count. Considering wrestling fans, the most money could probably be made by signing Mandy Rose and having her do fan time content on this revamped Honor Club. Why don't you just sign a bunch of women and, and put some softcore porn videos on there? You want, I mean, if it's all about subs, shit. Uh, yeah, let's, let's leave the Mandy Rose thing on the side. I, I see where you're coming from. I think what you're saying is logical, but here's why it's not going to happen. Turner does not want Ring of Honor. That's it. If Warner Brothers Discovery wanted a Ring of Honor show, then Tony Khan would have made the announcement that we have a TV deal with TNT or TBS for another show, and it would be all about Ring of Honor. The fact that that did not happen... And instead, he had to say, well, we're going to have an ROH weekly show on our Honor Club service, means that there's no interest in having a Ring of Honor television show. Tony Khan cannot just change the AEW show to a Ring of Honor show. He can't He can't get around the network by, by doing that, because the network doesn't want that. The network wants two AEW shows. So that's why this whole thing is moot. It's not going to work. But I agree with you. Look, I, I don't you know, pay as much attention to Rampage. It's just not must-see television. It's just not. There have been some better Rampages in recent weeks, but you don't have to watch Rampage. Dynamite is is the main show. If they were to replace Rampage with a Ring of Honor show, there's a better chance I might check it out more consistently. At least it would be different. It would not be, you know, here's AEW, but, you know, an hour less with matches that don't really matter as much. But again, they don't have the power to do that. As far as putting other content on Honor Club, hey, put put as much content as you can. You mentioned play-alongs, you want to do watch-alongs, talk shows, documentary. They should put as much as they can on that service. As, as long as it's relevant to the audience that they're catering to, you're right. It doesn't just have to be wrestling shows. It can be all different kinds of, of content. I'm just thinking they might want to save that for their YouTube channel. But I agree. I, I think they should vary the content if they want to try to boost the subscriber count. Uh, Kaylin from Dayton, Ohio. I was listening to your podcast when you talked about CM Punk's influence on the wrestling business. And I couldn't help but think of another man who, to me, is just as influential as Punk, if not more so. And that is AJ Styles. His body of work speaks for itself. He was TNA's franchise player for years, has been a world champion in TNA, New Japan, and WWE and is widely respected by his fans and his peers. What say you? Yeah, you get no argument out of me. AJ Styles, I think, has been hugely influential. Uh, All the X Division work that he did brought a lot of fans in who watched him when he was younger and have stuck with him throughout all the different phases of his career. So I don't think there's anything incorrect about what you said. I think AJ Styles is another one who has been very influential. 
in the wrestling business. Umar from Sheffield, England, while Gunther has been an overall great intercontinental champion, I do not like the fact that he has had the title for over six months and only defended it on one pay-per-view. What do you think about this? I think it is criminal. I agree. What was it? Clash at the Castle, right? That was the only show? It's ridiculous. You know, he he's brought more attention to the title, but it is still not featured in the way that it should be. Yeah, one one pay-per-view defense, as you said, in over six months is is ridiculous. Ryan from Ackworth, Georgia. I was listening to your January 13th SmackDown review, and I heard you talking about the Usos not losing before WrestleMania with the tag team tournaments happening right now, and that gives me a storyline idea. What do you think about Adam Pearce getting furious over the continuous destruction of Raw by the Bloodline to the point where he makes the Usos have two matches at WrestleMania? One against KO and Sami Zayn for the SmackDown Tag Team titles, and another match on the other night of Mania for the Raw Tag Team titles. That way, you can split the titles and also not have the Usos lose before WrestleMania. As I said in the other uh, email, if it were me, I would have Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn being the one and only team to beat the Usos. That being said, your idea, I think, could work. If you have Owens and Zayn beat them for the SmackDown belts, you know, the Usos could retain the Raw belts maybe on night one. But the Bloodline is a SmackDown group. So if they lose the SmackDown belts and they only have the Raw belts, I mean, I guess they could still... Well, I mean, I guess they would still be able to appear on both shows since they're technically SmackDown guys. Um, I would not beat them both nights. Because it takes away from the... Anything that will take away from that moment against Sammy and KO, I am against. So if you were to do this, I would have them retain on night one and then lose on night two. And finally here, this is kind of in the same vein as the Roman Reigns CM Punk question from last week. Daniel from Hamburg, Germany. We've really gone all around the horn here as far as all these countries. I was recently watching the famous LOL I Thought Kevin Nash Was Dead promo from CM Punk the night after SummerSlam in 2011. Who was bigger at their peak? I know Diesel as champion was a flop, but Nash in WCW probably was bigger than Punk as a draw. Then again, the NWO was bigger because of Hogan and not Hall or Nash. Can the argument be made that Kevin Nash was bigger than CM Punk? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can make that argument. Here's the thing about that, and I've thought about your question, and again, it's not such an easy slam-dunk thing. Neither was the Roman Reigns CM Punk one. Uh, As far as who I think was the bigger draw, I'm going to go with CM Punk. But it's important to, to keep this in mind. When Kevin Nash was Diesel, right, he was a big star in WWE, but he was a big star in WWE at a time when business was down. Business was not great. And that goes for everybody else they had on top. Brett, Sean, right? Diesel, Undertaker, Razor, all those top guys. Like business in 94 and 95 was not great. So he had a year as the champion. And there are people who say, well, it's not, it's not fair to call him a flop. He wasn't the lowest drawing champion. He may not be the lowest drawing champion of all time, but he also wasn't, he wasn't the highest either. So then you look at his WCW run. Him leaving to go to WCW was huge. Hall and Nash leaving and going to the competition was 
a gigantic story at that. I lived through it, okay? It was a gigantic thing if you were a fan. To see Razor and Diesel popping up on, on Monday Nitro. If Hogan is not part of the NWO, if they would have gone with, I think Sting was the original idea, if they would have gone with Sting, if they would have gone with Luger, honestly, even if they brought Brett in, and they had a shot at getting Brett later that year, it doesn't work. And I think by the end of that year, beginning of 97 at the latest, the NWO is dead. You you ain't getting two, three years out of the NWO. The only way the NWO works as well as it did is if you have Hulk Hogan in that role because Hogan was the guy. And to see Hogan go heel and him being the biggest WWF star for a fucking decade, him being part of that group, that's how the NWO got over as big as they did. Hall and Nash were very important parts of that. But you remove Hogan from the equation and the NWO is not as big as people remember it being. The NWO was gigantic. Okay, there's never been anything bigger than that in wrestling. During during that period, that was humongous, okay? Nash was part of an overall group. Nash was not the leader of the NWO. Later on, he was with the Wolfpack, and the Wolfpack also was big there for a time. Kevin Nash in 98, if you want to if you want to break it down like this, Kevin Nash in 98, I would say, came off as a bigger star than CM Punk did. When he was at his peak. And I think it was it was more just a product of, of that era. Because there were so many fans. The ratings were sky high. Wrestling has never been as popular. As, and, and mainstream, I would argue. And, and just popular and hot. White hot as it was during that period. But your question was, who was the bigger draw? Not who was the most popular. Right? You're, you're saying who was the bigger draw. It's hard to measure that with Nash in WCW. Because... He had a run as a single. He was a world champion and everything. But what kind of business did Kevin Nash do on his own? Right? It's kind of, it's hard to quantify that. He was part of the NWO, but that's the thing. He was part of the NWO. With CM Punk, when he got hot in 2011, and he was champion for 434 days and, and all that. And then you want to even include his AEW career. If you want to kind of expand it out to AEW, he was a draw for Tony Khan in AEW. Kevin Nash has never demonstrated that he was a top guy, the top guy, and was this massive draw for whatever company that he worked for. Punk does have a demonstrated history of being not just popular, but bringing fans back into the product. CM Punk is somebody who brought fans into the product in 2011. He did it again when he went to AEW. Kevin Nash has never brought anybody into the product. So can the argument be made that Nash was bigger than Punk? Well, he's physically bigger. (laughs) Sure. Nash was physically bigger than most. Do I think that he was bigger than Punk as a draw? I don't think I can say that. No. And I would, I, my vote would go with CM Punk. But I will tell you that just in terms of pure popularity, you know, him being part of the NWO, that was the coolest fucking shit in all of wrestling. And in that period, I would say, you know, 97, 98, Nash, from a popularity standpoint, Nash, Hall, all those guys, much bigger than CM Punk. And, and you can probably say most people from the current era in terms of just overall popularity. So it's not such a simple yes or no thing. Again, it comes down to what, what do we mean by these things? And then how do you quantify how big of a draw in terms of ratings, in terms of 
tickets sold, in terms of pay-per-view buys. How many of those big pay-per-view buy rates that WCW did were the result of Kevin Nash? I can't even really answer that question. Probably not a lot. Certainly not as much as you could attribute to people like Hogan and Goldberg. Anyway. Keep emailing me, thesolomonster, at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Solomonster. There's going to be a lot going on this week. So that is going to be the best place to uh, keep up with me if there's any kind of breaking news. I have thoughts and comments on anything. Uh, During Raw 30, for example, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to be live on YouTube next Saturday. Since they're doing these pay-per-views now on Saturdays, we're going to do the Rumble review late night, Saturday night. We'll be back here next Sunday to wrap it all up. The post-mortem for the Royal Rumble on episode 793. Uh, That will be next Sunday. So until then, be well, stay safe. Thank you for all of the support. Subscribe on YouTube. I'll be live on there several times this week. You You don't have to wait, you know, until next Sunday. You can get more of me on YouTube. If you're sick of me and you like only having me once a week, then I will see you back here next Sunday. I get sick of myself sometimes, so it's okay. You you, you won't offend me by saying that. I'll see you back here next weekend. Take care, guys. The Salamonsters sounds off. As of today, Kofi is the only man who has declared himself for the Rumble. We're only a few weeks away. You would think that the rest of the roster would be interested in trying to win themselves a main event title match at WrestleMania, but evidently that's not the case. If it were me, I would have been the second person to announce myself for the Royal Rumble. Then I would promptly hold on to the bottom rope, and I would handcuff myself to the bottom rope, and I would stick the keys down my crotch, and that's where I would lay. Until the right moment, I would uncuff myself, I would sneak up behind somebody, I would give them about five low blows. And then I would dump him out of the ring. And that's how I would win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> the Salamonster sounds off. Each week, bursting with content. Podcasts, predictions, reviews, YouTube live streams, and more. Become a channel member for perks and follow the Salamonster on Twitter at Salamonster. 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 Salamonster sounds off. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.